Welcome back to another edition of uh, Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson, and tonight um, we're, we have another great panel assembled to cover another interesting topic. Um, first of all, um, well, you know, Zilpha, of course, Zilpha's here. Hi, Zilpha. Hello. We were at dinner um, tonight, and Zilpha's mother had the audacity to ask um, us what the podcast was on tonight. And there was a room full of people who aren't normally there, all LDS. And um, Zilpha said, we're talking about Joseph Smith's polygamy tonight. And the wall chirp, of utter chirp, silence chirp. <laughs> as they all looked around and had no idea what to say. They didn't say, what What do you mean, Joseph Smith's polygamy? What, what is there to talk about? Just, they didn't say anything. They they had no idea what how to even address. So I, I think this is an important topic because it is so key and so fundamental to the establishment of Mormonism, um, as Joseph Smith left it, um, to, to, uh, to others and what Mormon identity was for, for, um, nearly half of its existence. And even dealing with it today, it's, it's such a, it's such a key issue. So tonight, um, like I said, we're going to deal with, um, 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 Joseph Smith polygamy and, uh, and on, even for, 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 for the, for the Mormons, I think it's largely something they just don't know how to deal with and to choose to block it out. And for, for ex-Mormons and, and for other critics of the church, it is the gilded sword by which they, they think they can attack the church. So I think tonight we're going to try to kind of dig around and see what we know, what we don't know, what was happening and what wasn't happening, and um, where we're left with that today. Um, so we've, we've brought two experts in um, to talk us through. First of all, in the studio tonight is uh, Lindsay Park. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. So, Lindsay, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I am a Mormon, a practicing Mormon, sort of, right now, and uh, I blog for Feminist Mormon Housewives under the name Winter Buzz, and I've been doing a series on the wives of Joseph Smith because we, you know, I kind of resented that we know all about Joseph Smith and polygamy is a huge issue, but these women are kind of penalized and forgotten because of being faithful. So we wanted to highlight their stories and that's kind of caused a great reaction on both sides of the spectrum. And, uh, it's really led me into a really deep study of polygamy and Joseph Smith and these women. And I've met some wonderful people because of it. So that's why I'm here. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming. And, and uh, joining us from the great, um, divide of the internet is, uh, let me see, let me make sure I say it right. Um, Kai it's there's that there's that Hawaiian galatal stop in Ka-imi. there. Kaimi. Yeah, Kaimi. Yep. Welcome. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's now, great to be on the podcast. Well, we're sure happy to have you. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm a um law professor at um uh, Thomas Jefferson Law School in San Diego and I blog on LDS issues and have for um, eight years now at Times and Seasons and I've also posted at time from time to time at By Common Consent or Feminist Women Housewives or other blogs and um, I'm just a, I'm a big fan of Lindsay's series at Feminist Women Housewives I think it's one of the most interesting conversations happening in the blog world today um, and so um, yeah, I, we, we've had a lot of conversations about her posts. Her posts are fabulous, and um, I'm somebody who's interested in the topic as well. Now, I, I think I've said this to um, super fans out there will probably remember. Um, you know, I, I was going along as, as a faithful Mormon and, and believing like, like, like you do, 
Um, and um, I was putting stuff on my shelf like you do. And I was working on a history, um, you know, like the church tells us to do, of my great 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 grandfather. Um, 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 well, yeah, uh, my great Vincent. Yeah, my great 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 grandfather Vincent Knight, who was the bishop in in Nauvoo. And um, I, we knew in the family records that his wife Martha had married Joseph Smith, and then Heber Kimball after um, Vincent died. Um, Vincent contracted. Uh, malaria, I believe, and then died in Nauvoo. Um, but then I started digging in not too deep, and I found that there was some controversy about whether she married Joseph before or after he died. And for me, that was just that was just a, a brick to the head. Um, I that because I, I knew Joseph had practiced polygamy. You know, growing up in Utah, everybody knew Brigham Young and Joseph Smith were polygamists. But the idea that Joseph was marrying women who were still married to other men, and in this case, very faithful men. Um, who were inside the church was just, um, I didn't know how to process it. So this is where I started my journey is I wanted to get to the bottom of polygamy and I started, um, researching some of the source material. Um, and jumping ahead a little bit, you know, in the family histories, um, Grandma Martha talked about her being very sad. She was shuffled off to Hooper. Um, she lived in poverty, even though Kim, Heber Kimball, um, married her, never gave her a red dime and died basically in poverty. Luckily, her son-in-law, who's the bishop out there, kind of, kind of took pity on her and sort of built her a little house and took care of her. But so that's my family's interaction with, with this mess that, um, that Joseph, that Joseph started. So, well, let's, let's, um, let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Um, let's talk about Joseph before, um, Emma came into the picture. Sure. And is that the beginning enough? I mean, you... I mean, I mean, actually, if if we can go back just a little bit earlier to the pre-beginning, um, because one thing which which often gets left out of the narrative is that this is not something which Joseph just thought up one day and everybody said, "Wow, we've never heard of that before." Like, in fact, there were a lot of other millennialist groups. Um, Revival groups, um, you know, the Anabaptists, um, there was the Oneida community, which was experimenting with, um, relationships and sex and wife sort of community marriage in their own way. Um, Cochranites, I mean, there were a whole lot of, of sex experiments going on around this time. Usually, usually based in the Bible. Like, I think as a, uh, as a Mormon, I always thought, oh, we're so cool because we restored the gospel. And like that was a revolutionary idea. But we need to remember that there were a lot of restorationist type groups. They were in Europe. They were in America. A lot of people believed that they were restoring things that had been left out of the Bible. And Joseph was just one of several groups trying to do that. And polygamy was was a biblical practice that some people believe that they were going to restore. So it wasn't like Joseph Smith came up with this revolutionary idea on his own. Yeah, it's, it's been said that one of the things that happened um, was when we started settling the frontier, we got out ahead of the churches. So, And, and during the, fa- the time period Joseph Smith was born in, a lot of people were sort of unchurched, partly because there were no churches around. So in the old days, you know, the, the clergy would have read from the Bible, and you might have had a Bible, you might not. Of course, it wasn't that long ago that no one had one except the super rich. 
Um, so the whole clerical method of reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible had been established by the, by the, the big churches. Now suddenly you were out on the frontier in old Indian territory. Every family had a Bible. Every family had a Bible and not really any guidance. So they were interpreting the, these things for the, their first time and sort of making up their own religion. That's why we have, you know, and starting to impl- um, take their own sexual ethic out of that. The Quakers who were abstinent and the, like the Oneida brethren who were less than abstinent and, and the Mormons. All over one scripture. I mean, there was right. one scripture that they all went three different right. ways with. Right. Right. And, and it's, I mean, you hear this, it's in the context of the second great awakening, um, which is the, um, the movement sweeping the country. So this is, um, so this is the backdrop, which is, it's not that Joseph Smith starts reading and going like, wow, Abraham, Abraham was a polygamist and nobody's polygamist since then and we should bring back the works of Abraham. Um, there were, there were lots of folks who were having these sorts of conversations. Um, so. So, so uh, inner, inner young Joseph Smith, by his own account, a, uh, a uh, ras- rascalian, <laughs> a wild boy. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, the way that I like to look at it is Joseph's mom, Lucy, describes him as an average boy. Growing up, he was an average boy, but you have his parents who were involved in treasure hunting and visions. They were a very spiritual family. And there are stories of Joseph's, I think his father and his older brother, if I'm right, having visions and these spiritual experiences. And I think, in my opinion, I think Joseph was searching for that himself. And, uh, he, in the Joseph Smith papers, you can look up, uh, as if, I think as a, 12 to 15 years old, he has written down the struggle that he feels. He's always talking about his sins and the guilt that he feels for his sins. And he's like punishing himself for kind of the lust and the pride that he has in his heart. When his first, the first account of his first vision was centered around his sinfulness. Right. His praying for forgiveness. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that does come after the fact. I mean, our written accounts of the first vision come after the Book of Mormon was published. And, and so it's, it's difficult to reconstruct what happened, um, because there's no contemporaneous record. But yeah, the early accounts of the first vision, you know, 1832, he's talking about, um, he's, he's, he's talking about a context in which, the um you know he was being forgiven for his sins and that was the wonderful thing that was going on in his life um it was not about the as as much at least about the restoration of the gospel so to speak so yeah um joseph talks about his follies and his vices i believe those are the words he used his vices and that can be interpreted as a lot of different things but some historians think that it relates to what an average teenage boy Goes through, through puberty, you know, <laughs> thoughts Certain about women. Interests. <laughs> yes. And of course, you know, we're kind of in the Victorian era where sex is viewed as a, a social, I don't know, what's the word I want? Taboo. Taboo. Thank you. And so he's got that and he's got a spiritual family and I think Joseph's making a name for himself. So I think he's struggling with like all this big concoction of different emotions and i don't want to throw a, a big curveball this early but he was still on the frontier and you know american history is notorious for leaving the inhabitants of the frontier out the you know especially the indians um and they didn't practice the same sexual ethic that the europeans did so these ideas um, and joseph you know given the book of mormon was obviously very interested in indian folklore and indian culture 
that that sexual ethic of uh, more open ma- marriages um, might have influenced Joseph. Well, I mean, it's interesting because the Book of Mormon itself actually goes into detail against polygamy. Um, and says you're not allowed to have polygamy unless the Lord is making a special exception to raise up seed. Um, so this is a, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting that the Book of Mormon should do this. This is prior to, um, records of, um, potential polygamous unions. So the, the first thing the LDS Church says about polygamy is God hates it. Right. Don't do it unless well, I specifically tell you otherwise. Which shows to me it was obviously on his mind. <laughs> right. Well, uh, if if Joseph is the author of the Book of Mormon, yeah, right, yeah, or it was on the mind of. But the even prophet, even, Jacob, even if he right. wasn't through his lens, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's he, a, he he would have been introduced to that idea. Say he was receiving it as a revelation. He he would have still gotten that information at that time and thought, hmm, poly- polygamy, huh? And and we shouldn't like we've we've like we've hinted at people would read the Bible and run into all the polygamists in the Old Testament. I'm sure this is a topic of conversation among them, just like it is um, among us today. So so the idea right. is clearly there. So where right. where do we have the first sort of other than a, this? So we have this sort of vague idea that Joseph Smith might be getting his game on. Where do we get the first sort of inclination that he is seriously? Potentially, and 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 we should point out here, and maybe this is a chance for us to stop and define our terms, and and say so we should point out here that there is a lot of conjecture in in all this. I mean, it's it's hard to ever have physical evidence of physical activity, you know, of of, of especially of sex. during yeah when it was so taboo. Um, right. Well, and I think, yeah. and Kaimi, you can do this too. When we're talking about these things, we can we can clarify on what is kind of speculation and what we do have. I, I guess harder evidence for uh, the the first the first uh, concrete evidence we have of his interaction with a woman is of course his when he meets Emma Hale and I kind of like and that was in 1827 and I think that their courtship is very interesting and I'm sure most of your listeners know this but her parents did not approve of Joseph and the two of them eloped and so um. That's a scandal within itself in, you know, the Victorian time period because there were certain rules and protocols that you followed. Right. And I mean, it indicates that when he is interested in, um, having a relationship with a woman, he is not hesitant to violate social norms to some extent, um, to put that relationship into play. But so, Emma um, went along with it too. I mean, she wanted him, right? Yeah, right. she yeah. did. But she was older than him. She was a wasn't little bit she? older. Was she two right. years she older? Was, but the relationship yeah, she, was considered um, impropriatous. Is that the right one? Yes. Um, yeah. And it, he, he he was sort of seen as a step down. Well, you're talking her. about social class. Right. It's just he wasn't obeying the rules of court. Well, he was, wasn't he? Uh, he was on a treasure dig when he met Emma. And that held its own certain kind of scandalous implications in some crowds. And I think that that's why her dad opposed, Emma's dad opposed the marriage. And we say treasure dig. It's not like he was digging up an old Indian, like, mine. They were <laughs> right. using spiritual methods of right. finding the treasure. Which was fairly common. In, right. But in, still scandalous. But scandalous, but the, yes. But, right. And the treasures ended up being too closely guarded by spirits and they got away. Yeah, they sunk down into the earth. But he got the girl. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he marries her in 1827, and then, now this is more conjecture, but 
1828, there started to be rumors circulating in harmony of a girl named Eliza Winters. And um, I believe that she was friends with Emma, and Emma had her first son die in childbirth when Joseph was accused of trying to seduce, quote, unquote, seduce her. So that's like the the first um, documented case, speculation, speculative and case in their marriage. Where does that documentation come from? That comes from, I will tell you. Um, isn't it Martin Harris? Um, well, it, it, yes, it was told by Mar- uh, Levi Lewis, which was uh, Eliza Winter's cousin, told Martin Harris that. Hmm. Right. So. so it's it's secondhand, um, and and has been, has been contested. I mean, a lot of folks don't think that you know. It's a question of whether there's good evidence there or not. And um, is this where we should talk for a second about evidence? Um, yes. But yeah, so, so, all right, so let's talk for a second about evidence. Um, basically, there's, there's very little documentation on a whole lot of things. I mean, a lot of things happened that people didn't write down or that were written down way after the fact or that were written down by somebody who had an axe to grind. And as a result, um, the universe of which we don't know is gigantic. Um, and this is actually something which Mormon apologists often trot out. Um, you know, is there any concrete evidence that Joseph Smith had sex with Helen Mark Kimball? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, there's not a sex tape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is not like Pamela Anderson or something. So um, then that leads to complicated questions as to what you do in the absence of concrete evidence and you know so we we collect statements that we have and we can try to say like okay there are problems with this statement but there are problems with a whole lot of statements from early church history including a lot of things that most orthodox mormons accept like the first vision like there's nothing written down about that for 12 years and then the things that are written down are all contradictory so um so i think there is a bit of a double standard happening when people demand very high high standards of evidence for Joseph Smith polygamy when they're accepting much flimsier evidence for things like the, the restoration of the Aaronic priesthood. Well, I think there's another aspect there also. If you're going to use that absence of evidence, you need to apply it consistently. And I'll, I'll skip straight to the end of the book here. Um, you know, there's a polyg- there's apologists, you know, who say there's no evidence that Joe Smith was sexual with these wives. And there's, there's, there's no reason to assume that, that, you know, he treated them as a normal marriage. On the same time, there is no evidence anywhere of another revelation coming along to sexualize the relationships. And meanwhile, shortly after Joe Smith dies, babies start popping out from all these women from, from other polygamist relationships. So if you're going to say that, that if you're going to argue that Joseph Smith introduced this, this, this relationship and it wasn't physical and it wasn't to, for producing children, you, you have to explain how like his, his secretary, you know, like William Clayton was going across the prairie with a pregnant um, second wife. Um, because, you, you're you're missing the evidence of that too. Well, I think well, this is still jumping ahead, but Joseph probably had a lot more reason to keep it hidden, and thus he didn't want evidence in the form of babies. Well, at the time, he was juggling at least thirty-three women, and he was doing a lot of stuff in Nauvoo, and not a just lot polygamy. of stuff. Yeah, right. So that's yeah, a lot is, to deal with. Yeah, the man only has so is, much energy. <laughs> 
Yeah, like Lucy Walker actually says this when when she's defending the practice of polygamy. What is it? Fifty years later, and um, and there's the. We're way jumping ahead, but you know the fact that the RLDS Church was sending missionaries saying there was no polygamy done by Joseph Smith. Um, Emma was writing books saying there's no polygamy from Joseph Smith. So um, Lucy Walker said, "Well, of course he didn't have babies. He was busy running from the law and barely had time to see all of his plural wives." Right. So yeah, and there's at least some of that happening. Okay, so let's go back to go back to New York. Okay. Do we want to talk about Fanny? Do we want to bring her in? We, we all love we Fanny. We all <laughs> talk about Fanny. Um, so yeah, let's talk about let's talk about um, Fanny. Okay, um, I've always pronounced her name Fanny Alger, but I know everyone says it Fanny Alger, right? Is that how you pronounce it? I say it Fanny Alger. So we're on the oh, same oh, team. Oh good, oh good, good. Okay, so um, now I this um, is going to become. I, I just read books and I don't. <laughs> That's don't my problem. My I, I don't actually pronounce the, the names. So yeah, go on. Okay, so Fanny, um, her parents were converts to the early church. And so I'm going to bring you now. Joseph Smith gets married in the late 1820s, and now we're into the early 1830s. And um, Joseph is starting to establish a spiritual community, and he's starting to get um, a following. Well, he baptized these two people, Fanny's parents, Samuel and forget her mom's name. And, and, uh, they have this daughter who is described by everyone. Benjamin Johnson says, a very nice and comely to whom everyone seemed partial for her amiability of her character. Everyone said she was good looking and attractive. Um, she, how old was she? She was, uh, when they converted, I, she was young, I think 13, 14. But she becomes orphaned. And this becomes a pattern for Joseph and, and the way that he finds his wife. Now, Fanny was the first one to be taken in as a adoptive daughter to Emma Smith. And she would have been about 15 or 16 at the time. So she comes and lives with them. And usually this would mean that she would help Emma with chores around the house. Joseph would have been gone a lot. So it makes sense that they would need help there. So, Which which was, to be clear, a very common practice at the time for, for young girls to basically apprentice with other women. Yes, yes. So people wouldn't have thought the situation, the arrangement was strange. No, it wasn't strange at all. It was very common. And Emma was very comfortable with it. And it was said that she was very fond of Fanny. That uh, I think it was Eliza Webb recalls. She said, Mrs. Smith had an adopted daughter, a very pretty, pleasing young girl, about 17 years old. She was a little bit younger than that. She was extremely fond of her. No mother could be more devoted. And their affection for each other was a constant object of remark. So absorbing and genuine did it seem. So Emma was very close to her, and we know that Joseph Smith, sometime in in the period of 1832 to 1833, began a relationship with her. Now, apologists and some church historians call it a marriage, and others call it a fi- an affair. I think it was, uh, wasn't it Oliver Cowdery that said yeah. it was a dirty, dirty nasty, nasty affair? affair? Right. And we have evidence of that from several different sources. The first time it was mentioned by someone was Eliza R. Snow mentioned it in 1836 because she mentions that there was a fuss that happened in the house. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But in um, Will- William McClellan, uh, 
he years later was trying to convince Joseph Smith's family that polygamy existed, Joseph Smith III. And so we have a lot of William McClellan's letters to Joseph Smith III trying to say, your dad was a polygamist and here's how we know. And church historians and some apologists don't consider him a credible source because he was excommunicated from the church. But he he tells a story that's quite salacious. He talks. He says that Emma told him that one night she went looking for Joseph and Fanny, and she went to the barn, and she looked through a crack and saw the transaction. And I believe he called it celestializing with the maiden, <laughs> which is my favorite term. So we can use that from now on. Uh, um, a tumble in the hay. A tumble in the hay. So the story goes that Emma was furious, and now I, I believe this is a fuss that Eliza R. Snow was talking about. And Kaimi, if I get this wrong, let me know. Emma threw yeah. her out of the house. Is that right? Um. Yeah. I mean, Emma ejected her from the house, and she had to go live elsewhere for a while. And that brought on a scandal. Right. And then, then Oliver Cowdery said, "Um, well, and um, th- there was." Oliver Cowdery brought Joseph Smith basically, you know, to a church court and said, like, I want to figure out what's going on here. Well, Joseph Smith brought Oliver Cowdery to a church court. But, um, but Cowdery was making accusations. Um, and what we get from Joseph Smith is, I want you to take it back. Um, or rather, and so Richard Bushman says, this is not that we're trying to get Oliver Cowdery to deny that the relationship exists, but what we're trying to get Oliver Cowdery to do is not say that it was a sinful relationship. So this is how Bushman, reading between the lines, says, um, we can assume that this was a marriage because, um, Joseph is insisting that this is not an adulterous relationship, but he's not insisting that there's not a relationship. So, and that backmasking continues. I'm looking at the Doctrine and Covenants here, and in the section header to 132, it says, Although this revelation was recorded in 1843, it is evident from the historical records that the doctrines and principles involved in this revelation had been known by the prophet since 1831. The, 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 um, the historical records... Um, the the evidence from historical records is that he was he was banging Fanny, right? I mean that that's that they're they're, they're trying to cover the fact that uh, he was had had this affair with Fanny, and that's why they say this revelation has to be predated. Right, and and there's as far as I'm aware, there's no evidence to suggest that there was a formal ceremony. Right, there is no contemporaneous evidence of marriage, though Andrew Jensen considers her a wife. Um, Todd Compton considers her a wife. Uh, maybe she was a common-law wife or something. So, maybe there was not a- so um, Todd, Todd Compton wrote in Sacred Loneliness, is a, is a historian um, who has covered this. Um, t- um, so for our audience, who's Andrew Jensen? Oh, assistant church historian who put together, so in the late 1800s, um, Emma Smith writes, what was it called, The Last Testimony of Sister Emma, which is um, one of many of her um, statements saying there was no polygamy. And Emma, um, she lived in very uncomfortable relations with polygamy during her lifetime, or during Joseph's lifetime. As soon as he died, um, she said he had nothing to do with it. And so um, that's another whole interesting story there. But yes, because please. Emma was writing this, um, church members are putting together evidence that there was polygamy that happened and that Joseph Smith was involved in it. So Andrew Jensen very helpfully collects a whole bunch of statements from church members, um, including people, including people who were 
plural wives, including people who knew plural wives, and puts this together in the historical record. And so, it, well, I just want to say, oh, sorry, did you? Oh, so I was just clarifying that he thought that Fanny Alger was a plural wife. Yes, but there's no evidence at all. It's it's just this goes to our evidence situation before. They're saying because he had a relationship with her, he must have facto, he was married. <laughs> he to must him. have been the, married the, to her. The right. concrete evidence that we do have is that she lived with the family, and for some reason she was thrown out. That's what right. we have um, from sources that we would consider as LDS people reliable sources, like Eliza or Snow. Right, and, and that's contemporaneous. I mean, we have after-the-fact statements from LDS folks saying they must have been married because Joseph was restoring polygamy and he was a prophet and he wouldn't be sleeping with somebody if he weren't married to her. When do we have the first, uh, and maybe no one knows this, the first public acknowledgement of the relationship with Fanny? Did that Was that much later? That, well, that was much later. In fact, most of the members don't consider her a first wife. Louisa Beeman would be considered the first wife. But I, I do need to point this out that so this scandal caused kind of um, an uproar in the community, and that prompted Joseph and the church to quickly adopt what was called the Chapter of Rules for Marriage Among the Saints, which declared, quote, inasmuch as the church of Christ has been repro- reproached with polygamy, we, de- we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife. The article of marriage was, was canonized and published in the DNC in 1852. The doctrine was publicly announced. So there's a huge gap. Um, it, it was left in the DNC till after Brigham's death. Yes, wasn't it? yeah, it was left there for a while. So that's Wait, kind so of contradictory. They simultaneously announced polygamy and put that in the Not DNC, simultaneously, like almost, but yeah, around the same time. Yeah, at first it was yeah. denied, and and there are reasons for. I mean, I I believe that the explanation would be it's because this was a secret sacred practice that was not understood, and they didn't want the law to come after them right right and so for <laughs> joseph to to continue on with his work he needed to be protected and free to do the things that he needed to do right and and you know we should i should take a second here to mention um for people who haven't seen it yet um there is a there are incredible little mini bios of many of Joseph Smith's wives at feministmormonhousewives.org. Um, these are written by Lindsay, who has done very good research on this. And so, I mean, if you, this is if you want to read more about Fanny or about Helen or about any of these women, um, I mean, in addition to buying Todd's book, which is wonderful and everybody should do it, um, in Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton. Um, but another really good starting point is at Feminist Mormon Housewives. Excellent. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on from um, from Fanny. Um, it, we seem to have a period, uh, a hiatus in the at least in the public outing of Joseph's um, activities. Well, but wasn't well, there... sort of maybe. I mean, yeah. There's there's a few. So there's the the Indian letter, um, which is um, contested and may. Maybe legitimate and maybe not, and depends on who you ask. Um, William W. Phelps talks about this like 30 years later. Um, but the, um, so this is a revelation which is again not well attested at the time, but um, is said to William W. Phelps says this something which comes around in 1831 um, that missionaries who are going out to the Lamanites, um, that is the Native Americans, um, should take plural wives, um, to help create a white and delightsome people. 
they should marry the Indians. And th- this was yes. when the the mission to the the mission to the Lamanites in 1831, where they they yeah. journeyed down to um, Jackson County and to, to Kansas City. Right. But do we have any um, evidence that anybody actually married Native American women? No. I don't think that it ever, ever came into fruition. No, they, they weren't received as as <laughs> but well I think that goes to your earlier point of Native American practices, and I think clearly Joseph was at the very least influenced by that culture because we see it popping up so yes, consistently. I agree. Right. So you probably don't want to go wife by wife because we could be going all night. Well, I think right. we should we should probably do the first few at least. Well, let's that, let's that talk about and Beeman because that she's the next. Well, uh, is okay, there anything well, before we get Lucinda to her? There's Lucinda Morgan Harris, and okay, yes. some people consider her a wife. Um, Todd Compton does, I believe. Um, she was very interesting because her husband was the anti-Masonic martyr. Right. Uh, Morgan, Captain Morgan Harris. I think Captain Morgan is a Captain. is a brand <laughs> of rum. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been Mormon way too long. Um, <laughs> yes, and we've covered we've covered um, um, in our um, uh, Masonry podcast. We've we've covered him and that interesting thing. And it, it appears to be merely coincidence that she later joins the church. But it is that connection to the uh, the martyr for um, for revealing the secrets of. Uh, Yes, and Masonry. I would recommend everyone looking up that story, just the story of her marriage and him. It's it's fascinating. It's great. Right. And, but, and you know... Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I was just going to say one additional sort of um, caveat before we... So one question is, I mean, we, we're talking about all of these maybe wives, and one thing which people say is like, why are you talking about maybe wives? Like, why don't you just get to the real wives? Um, in fact... Um, it's super complicated because a lot of women were married to Joseph Smith after his death, so you have to sort them out. Um, and then there are women who are only attested in hostile sources. Um, there are, you know, there was there were not good records being kept. So, and we should um, also say that he has uh, yeah. a track record of failed proposals as well. <laughs> women yeah. that didn't that turned him down. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we're, we wish there were, a, you know, it's not like today where there are excellent marriage records kept and, you know, you go down to the courthouse and there's a marriage license and whatever. A lot of these were being done really um, clandestinely. So we don't have solid evidence for a lot of them, but we get all of these statements about them and then it becomes this complicated game of figuring out, like, how much do you trust these pieces of evidence? How many pieces of evidence do you have to add up before you get a, a solid source and so on? So, so, all right, so, so yeah, Lucinda Morgan was was considered by some to, to be a wife, but at the time, most of the saints considered uh, Louisa Beeman the very first. So um, do you want to And who was her? she? Yeah. Okay, so she had a family... Um, that was that was kind of notable, and and I want to talk about this too because this was something else that Joseph did as a pattern. When Joseph would enter into a plural marriage with anyone, he would usually approach a family member or a trusted um, advisor to that family member, and the story goes that he would always take that person on a walk when it's usually you know in the evening time, and then he would sit down somewhere and they would look at nature, and then he would describe this new law that God had revealed to him. So now when we're moving into Louisa Beeman, most uh, historians would agree that Joseph now was authorized 
officially to practice this. Now, of course, we have the 1831 theory or scripture or whatever you want to call it, saying that Joseph knew about it earlier. But we do have enough evidence to know that Joseph believed at this point, or at least said that he was acting as a commandment from God. At this point, he was starting to talk more openly with people about it. So we have many more sources, not necessarily that saying, I married Joseph Smith, but men and others saying, we heard about this doctrine. Joseph talked to me about it. There's this things going on. So we start getting this crescendo of, of contemporary evidence. This is like a whole 10 years later though, right? Right. Yeah. And this is, I mean, and in fact, it's, I mean, Louisa doesn't, come around until 1841 but this kicks off a period where over um just four so he hasn't you know he has had one or maybe two plural wives um prior to um louisa 1841 suddenly this kicks off a period where in a couple of very energetic um bursts of energy um he acquires roughly 30 plural wives over a period of four years yeah, that takes um, a lot of energy. So it's a well, and Louisa was she was an orphan as well. I believe her mom died of malaria, and she has a brother who is known as Joseph Noble, and he is important because he gets involved in polygamy pretty early on in the Nauvoo area era. So okay, so Joseph approaches Joseph Noble, and he was one of the first people, probably besides John C. Bennett, that Joseph kind of let in on this secret. And he ta- you know, he goes and gives him the walk and he, he teaches him the principle of plural marriage. And he basically says that I want you to perform a marriage between me and your 25 year old sister, Louisa. And Louisa was, mo- lived with her sister at the time because of her mom had died. And was single and had never been married. Correct. She right. had never been married. And so the first marriage occurs on April 5th, 1841. And this is kind of an interesting marriage because, um, it's supposed to be in a grove on Main Street, and Joseph Noble, the brother, performed the ceremony. And I believe that, um, yeah, Louisa was the one, she was dressed as a man for the marriage. What? She wore a man's hat and a coat as a disguise. It was very secretive and kind of fun, but... um <laughs> Why didn't they just do it like in a barn or something? Someplace where no one would see them. Now, we, 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 we kind of skipped over this, but should we talk about the marriage that happened in Kirtland? Um, so, so the, the church was not authorized, was not legally authorized to, do, to perform marriage. And I'm, I'm, my mind's drawing a blank who the marriage was between two, two members of the church were getting married and they had applied for a license and they hadn't gotten it. And so they started this marriage and at the last minute, Joseph swept in and he pushed the, whoever was going to officiate aside and said, I'm going to do this. I have the authority. I have the, the this, this sort of thing. So, so there had been a previous track record of the of the church starting to say well we have our own special rights and privileges and even if we're not recognized by the government um i have the power to marry i have the power to move forward with that sort of stuff right well and beyond that i mean um there's also the fact that we're not in Kirtland anymore. Um, now we're in Nauvoo. And so, um, the Saints had previously been in a much more vulnerable situation, um, being in Missouri, um, or being in Kirtland. I mean, they were subject to the whims of powerful majorities and powerful, um, state actors who could, inf- who could enforce some of these rules. And suddenly we end up in a situation where the, 
the church and Joseph have much, much broader power. So it becomes in a lot of ways more possible to do this, um, when you're, when you're in a Mormon dominated community. Well, and I should point out that in this particular Beeman marriage, there, this is where we start to have this sort of evidence that Joseph was practicing plural marriage, but also sleeping with his wives. Joseph Noble recalls, and now remember, he's the brother who married them. He writes in his journal that he performed uh, the marriage right straight across the river at my house, and then he sent the couple to stay at his home, and he said, blow out the lights and get into bed, and you'll be safer there. <laughs> so, I mean, they're sure, they could have gotten into bed and fell asleep after an exhausting day of secret of marriage, but, I mean... I guess that's left up for us to decide what. Well, and I don't think there's any reputable church history, I don't know of any, who would deny the fact that Joseph arranged for and spent the night with his polygamist wives, at least some of them. I mean, we have very good evidence of of that. Yeah, yeah. So this, I mean, I mean, what, what Lindsay's, um, intimating at is there's, there's a very active debate about how many of his plural wives Joseph actually slept with. And in particular, whether he slept with the more icky, um, scenarios, the, the very young ones wives or the ones who are married to other men. And um, so when you look at, you, you open up the Farms Review and you look at Anderson and Faring's review of Todd Compton's book, and they spend basically the whole review saying there's no solid evidence that Joseph had sex with any of the really icky situation wives. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, my response to that, as long as, because I can, um, anthropologists will tell you that... Um, there is having sex with, with women for powerful men and there's sexual access. And oftentimes powerful men barter in sexual access to, 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 to women. And that doesn't necessarily need to be exercised to show their dominion. Um, and, and what Joseph clearly had in the minds of everybody involved in this was sexual access to, 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 to these women. So in terms of a patriarchy and in terms of using his um, sexual virility as a sign of power and a sign of dominance and a sign of being the alpha, it's all over this. It doesn't matter if he actually yeah. went to bed with these women. What was accomplished was the fact that he had displayed his sexual, his sexual dominance. Well, and it seems to me that even if we have evidence, I mean, there's not going to be any physical evidence, like we said, but pretty good evidence that he slept with at least one of them. Isn't that a lot of them good enough evidence that you know that these were sexual marriages? Yeah, yeah well, especially when we say slept, but that he was alone and sometimes with the door guarded. With, I, with these women. I think that you know, I we especially on Feminist Mormon Housewives on this series, we've encountered several apologists that are adamant that Joseph did not sleep with these women, and I just you know, first of all, that goes against the doctrine of polygamy. Right. And then, second of all, we have men that start to get married in Nauvoo that are clearly having sexual relations with their wives. So we have that to back it up. And and third, we have many women and many other secondhand accounts saying that they stayed with Joseph as man and wife or in the very deed or slept in the same bed. I just, I the women themselves, the women later themselves. in affida- affidavits. I should point out that Louisa Beeman and Joseph Smith never talked about this marriage, either of them recorded right. it. But there are three, uh, substantial affidavits that came out, I think in 1869, or no, these were the published affidavits in 87. And they yeah. were Joseph Bates Noble, um, 
Elder Benjamin F. Johnson and Lorenzo Snow. They all testified of this marriage. And Louisa Beeman, like I said, was kind of heralded as Joseph's first wife. If you were known to be married to the prophet in the Utah period, you had a certain status. Mm-hmm. Well, you, were, so, you were vacuumed up by Brigham and Heber, too. Usually. Right. <laughs> it doesn't mean you were taken care of. But. No, no, no. <laughs> right. But it was that. Yeah. So a couple of other things. I mean, so on the, the sexual access theory, I mean, it's fascinating that Joseph negotiates most of these through men um, such that he is really exercising his sexual access by telling the men of the congregation that he has access to their wives or daughters. Um, or sisters, as the case may be. Um, so in a sense, that really is the um, establishing dominance there. Well, and um, if you look at, I think that the, the number one piece of evidence for that is um, Heber C. Kimball's talking about, now I always mispronounce his wife's name. Is, is it, it Violet? It's, it's what I say. It's not Violet. 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 It's not, it's, it looks like it's Violet, but it's not. It's like Violet or something. So he asks Heber for her to, for, for Heber to hand his wife over. I mean, first of all, right. very patriot, you know, that you can even, today people are like, what? I can't hand my wife to any, anybody. But then Heber has it, and, and the source for this is, um, is canon, isn't it? Um, it's, it's up there behind you. It's, or is it Whitney? I think it's, I think and, it's, it's from a faithful source. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so. An apologist will actually acknowledge this as well. So, so he asks for, um, Heber C. Kimball, member of the 12, he asks for his wife. They come in, they appear before Joseph and they say, yes, I will give you my wife. Here she is. And then Joseph says, this is all just a big test. Right. But the, right. it was accomplished what he was after, which he, he had exhibited complete and total dominance over Kimball. Um, yeah. Um, and, 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 and they would agonize about it. They would go and, I think Kimball, in Kimball's case, they would go and they would pray and, and were in tears over it and agonized it. And they truly believed that their salvation was on the line here. So it wasn't like it was an easy decision. So like you said, by the end of it, it really established their loyalty to Joseph. It really tested it. And didn't they call it the Abrahamic test? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and we can talk about the Abrahamic test that Joseph performed on Emma later on with William right. Law. Oh, yes. And I, you know, to, in my mind, we know of 32, 33 women, right? Right. And we know these are very secretive and very, um, and, and we know a few cases of this. Most people would be so ashamed and embarrassed, um, about this thing. I, I think we're, we're greatly underestimating the numbers here. Um, and me personally. Yeah, possible. and, uh, I mean, George G. Smith yeah. in his book, and I will say that I have some really good friends that are church historians and they do not consider him a credible source. But, uh, his research, he, I think he has like at least eight, 38 wives. He lists some of the wives towards the end. Towards the end, it gets messy as Joseph, well, the whole thing is messy, but as Joseph, starts to really escalate towards uh, Carthage. We have really messy records of women and who was involved and who's not involved. And a lot was going on at that time. And and on the sex issue, I mean, let's just, so to give the apologist arguments their due, I mean, the biggest piece of evidence, and people like, um, um, we'll call this person Bleak Oyster, um, who, who argues this online, um, Mr. Oyster has said, um, you know, what about the babies? There are no babies, therefore we can assume there's no sex, and um, therefore, you know, we're, we're wrongheaded if we're assuming sex. Like, this is the classic apologist argument. 
And the lack of babies is probably the strongest piece of evidence to suggest that there's no sex. Also, there's just, there's not direct evidence of sex. Um, but that raises a whole lot of questions. On the flip side, um, reasons to think that these were sexual relationships. We've got evidence of sex in about 10 of them, direct evidence. And this is unusual for the time. So I mean, you when don't you say direct evidence, evidence let, let's, let's be clear for the audience. What exactly are we talking about? We're what, not talking about seeing what it on is the direct, walls or direct. anything. Um, yes. Yeah, so, um, so <laughs> there's this, there's some, yeah, sex tapes. No, no, not sex tapes. Um, but there's this, there's a weird case that crops up 40 years after the fact, um, litigating over the temple lot. Um, and this is between the Hendrickites and the RLDS church to see who's the actual heir of the LDS church for receiving LDS church property that was in the temple lot. It's this case. It's so interestingly in this case, um, a legal issue becomes to Joseph Smith practice polygamy. <laughs> so um, this, it, it seems like a weird thing to come up, but in fact, we're trying to figure out whether this proper property was properly given to the Hendrickites or whether it should be going to the RLDS church. And um, so it's a case about this, this piece of land, but um, part of the, the trial then becomes, is the RLDS church the heir to the LDS church? Um, and one of the issues that comes up is, was Joseph practicing polygamy, which the RLDS church had been denying. So the court brings in witnesses to testify about whether or not Joseph was practicing polygamy. Um, and this creates this wonderful trial transcript, just as far as um, sources. This is one of the best things available. Um, so after the fact, um, I mean, we get testimony about the details of Joseph Smith polygamy because of the way in which um, the temple lot is being litigated between the Hendrickites and the reorganized church. Um, and so Emily Partridge actually says in the trial transcript, um, gives detail about sleeping with Joseph Smith. And they ask her pretty direct questions to it. And you need to think about how polygamy was vilified nationally. And the kind of Victorian ideas of sex. So for her to come out and say, yes, I was having sex with a married man is I, in my opinion, a brave thing to say at that Mm -hmm. time. So I think that, you know, we underestimate. I, it really bothers me as, as a feminist who has studied these women's stories that we try to discredit their, their histories and their recollections of it. Because I think that they're entitled to that too. Right. So the um, um, scholar, and he's an apologist scholar in a lot of ways, but um, but he does a good job of, of trying to assemble a lot of the records, I think. Um, and I have quibbles with some of his work. But um, so Brian Hales has put together a lot of the details. And per his analysis, there are nine solid evidence wives and five. Five somewhat sketchy evidence wives um, as far as sex. And um, from from and uh, from my perspective, as soon as we've established that just one of them, that it, that one of the relationships is sexual, then the burden of evidence, the burden of proof, switches to the apologist to then argue that others were not. Right. And I, 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 I and, and I think, like I said earlier, I I think we even have the evidence of that coming out of other marriages like Brigham Young and William Clayton and stuff, who are obviously fathering children through these these relationships. Well, and 
they had ways of um, preventing live births. Oh yeah, they used time. condoms and stuff at the time. And they knew how to do abortions. Well, it wasn't that John C. Bennett was right. accused of, and I think he was li- wasn't he Kaimi linked to Louisa Beeman in right. this way and, uh, for abortion? Am I? And, yeah, well, and Bennett Bennett is the, and and Fawn Brody has said um, abortion is clearly the what, what was going on here. I mean, I don't want to go. We don't have any evidence there, but at the yeah, same time, like, there are people who have sex and don't have babies. I mean, how many babies does JFK have? And he clearly had sex with a whole lot of young women. All right. Now, now um, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm a little foggy on this. He was accused, John C. Bennett was accused of being an abortionist by people inside the church when he was being drummed out of the church. Right. And this is all starting to come to a head as Joseph starts taking on these early plural wives. Right. Okay. So and just go ahead. Go um, ahead. A couple of other, couple of other pieces of evidence. I mean, I just had this argument with Blake online, but I mean, so other pieces of evidence. The first is that um, the Book of Mormon says you're only allowed to practice polygamy if you're raising up seed. So if Joseph was not having sex with these women, he was practicing polygamy wrong. Um, and after the fact, a whole lot of people, Helen, Mark, Kimball, Whitney, saying, um, you know, this has only ever been done to raise up seed. Well, she should know she was married to Joseph. Um, if everybody who's ever practiced it righteously, as she says in her defense, has been doing it to raise up seed, um, you would think that that would imply they're having sex. Um, in addition, the extent to which people flipped out. So if these are just... And to sort of use the, the Blake Osler approach, I think, I mean, the, Blake would say these are sort of like green card marriages. They're just technicalities to... I don't think he would use that term. To get you but they're technic- special community. Yeah. Yeah, they they get you into heaven. They they do things, but there's not necessarily sex involved. But if these were just celestial green card marriages, then why did Jane Law completely flip out? Uh, you know, why does Nancy Rigdon flip out? Why do we have to write her this letter saying what is wrong under some circumstances? Maybe right under other circumstances. I mean, if it's all just a technicality. And why did um, Emma care? Well, yeah, why did Emma care? Well, in DNC 132 drops the word adultery no less than six times, you know, <laughs> and if you, once again, yeah, if this is just purely a, a ceremony, then why go there at all? Well, here's yeah. a fun, fun thing for your readers to do. If you guys are by a computer, you should Google on a Google image search, Josephine Rosetta Lyon. Now she was Sylvia Session's daughter. Sylvia Session married Joseph Smith. And the story goes that on Sylvia's deathbed, she uh, calls Josephine into the room and she says, you are the daughter of Joseph Smith. And if you look at a picture of her, for me, I, I think it's awfully uh, similar to Joseph Smith. Now, that's totally up for you to decide. Her family, yeah. um, we had we had one of her descendants write the guest posts on Sylvia Sessions. And she said that in her family, it's, it's kind of a badge of honor. They've always known that, you know, they're descendants of Joseph Smith and that's just kind of their family history legacy that they go on. Now, um, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of proof there, but I think that's kind of a fun thing to look up. Josephine Rosetta Lyon. Yes. So far the tests, um, on Josephine's descendants have been, um, negative, but, the, the fact that her mom thinks that she's Joseph Smith's child indicates that they were having sex. <laughs> right. Um. Okay, so we've established, I think, at this point that the evidence is pretty good that Joseph Smith was marrying the, the women in the normal sense of the word. Um, but 
Sorry. Go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back. So we're I'm gonna get back on track. So if you want to stay off track, you better do it now. Oh, you might be you might be taking it where I want to go anyway. Okay. So so um, let's go back. Well, I think we we left off at um um one of his first marriages to Louisa Beeman in '41. Mm-hmm. So and and then these marriages start rolling fast and furious. What's what's the next main, you know? Well, main we'll talk event. about Zina, which is the next one. Zina Huntington Jacobs. Oh yes. she was a married woman. She was a married woman to Henry Jacobs. She who, was the, who the was next a, one. Uh, yes. Wow. Who who was a member of the church? So both both um, Zina and J and Henry um, were faithful members of the church, um, and they had been married by Joseph Smith, I, I do believe. Yes. Right. Um, six months previous to the two. And she's a fascinating woman, and she gets very involved in the Relief Society in the Utah period. So we hear about her a lot in the Relief Society history. We don't really hear about this aspect of her. But um, she, because she was Joseph Smith's wife, she did, she really did benefit from that uh, exclusive inner circle of being one of his first wives. And I think that that, in my opinion, benefited her in the Utah period. Mm-hmm. I, my question is, did Emma know about these marriages yet? No. Oh, yeah. And in fact, so these are, Maybe so Zina and Eliza are Wait, the counselors to, um, to um, Emma in the Relief Society presidency. Emma's going around preaching against, um, against polygamy and, um, and not realizing that the women who are in the presidency with her are actually married to her husband. And they didn't tell her, and Joseph didn't tell her, but didn't Joseph, the reason why she was preaching against polygamy is because Joseph already said, hey, let's do this, and she said, heck no. No, right. not yet. I'm, with, well, with Emma? Is that what yeah, you mean? with Emma. No, right, yeah. Joseph was actively denying polygamy at the time. And I the thought, Book of Mormon denounced it when we're talking about Zina. But why would Emma be preaching against polygamy? Because oh. the church accusations were starting to fly in Nauvoo about polygamy. And, and of course, it. everybody was saying, of course not. That is not what we're doing here. Okay, so from so her she, stance, it's an attack on her family and on her marriage. Okay. And, and you know, there's arguments to be made how much she knew about Fanny or not, if that was a sensitive issue or not, if she was in denial or not, that we don't know. But we do know that Emma actively fought against polygamy during this time. Right? Am I right to say that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so Emma absolutely did... hated it. Um, we'll and get this there. Is, coming. This is, I mean, this is one thing which doesn't get enough discussion i think in the orthodox lds community i mean the idea is that and and the myth which you hear is that polygamy always involved the approval of the first wife was always known about by the first wife um and in fact um if you do any reading about the nauvoo period it's very very clear i mean we get a letter from joseph smith to one of his plural wives saying don't let emma catch you. Um, this is, I mean, this is not something which was made known to Emma. When it was made known, she hated it. Um, and then she told Joseph no multiple times. So, yeah, so Zina was part of the very complicated love triangle, if that's the right word there, <laughs> um, with, with the fact that she was one of Emma's very good friends, but she was clandestinely married to Joseph at the same time that Emma was going around denouncing polygamy. 
Yeah, so so let's let's go over some of the key facts of Zina or Zina or whatever however you say her name, um, because I I I I think she's really important to understanding what was going on, and I I've collected these dates because I think this is fascinating. Seventh of March, eighteen forty one, she marries Henry Jacobs. She's married by Mormon clergy in Nauvoo, legally and lawfully, both Mormon law and U.S. law. Both Zina and Henry, active believing members of the church, um, she. On 27th of October, 1841, she gets married to Joseph Smith. She is how many months pregnant at the time? Six months pregnant? Um, yeah. With Zebulon Jacobs, who was born 2nd of January, fathered by Henry Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Joseph Smith dies in 1844. Then she marries Brigham Young. And then she has Henry C. Jacobs, who was fathered by Henry Jacobs. So, So by now she's been married to Joseph and Brigham Young. And then in 1850, she has the baby Zena Young, who was fathered by Brigham Young. 1877, Brigham Young dies. 1886, Henry Jacobs dies. Henry Jacobs never leaves the church. Henry and, and, and Zina were never divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Brigham Young's relationship can't be said he was taking care of a widow because she wasn't widowed. Um, he obviously sired a daughter by her. Um, and... Um, it's it's just a blasted mess, and we have that heartbreaking love letter that Henry wrote to um, Zina, begging her to come back to him. Mm-hmm. And he was said yeah. to be on his mission. You know, John D. Lee said that he was his companion, and he would brag about his wife and how great she was. And and uh, this might be the woman that Brigham Young, or the man that Brigham Young was. This who Brigham Young chastised and said, "You know, you need to find a wife that's more." suited to you because she's more suited to me (laughs) right yeah and it was and i should just as a side note um i read about these people in books so if i'm mispronouncing their names um i apologize because i'm not really i've always thought and somebody said her name was zina at one point but i'm not sure if she's a zina or a zina or whatever else yeah so i'm just gonna go on if you get it wrong an angel with a drawn sword i I do have i do have a particular claim to fame on 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 this one um and this is long before mormon expression got in 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 place i did get the church to change their website on on um zina it used to say um, widowed by her first husband, she raised two sons um, from their marriage, one daughter and her later marriage to Brigham Young and four of Brigham Young's older children, which is clearly um, a lie. Um, it, it makes it sound like she was a widowed. She was widowed by her first husband, but long after Brigham Young actually died because she outlived him, of course. Um, so, but they, they put it in order to make yeah. it sound. And if you go to the um, biography of um um of her on the web page they have taken that sentence out so thank you church that was due to my complaining i'll give you all the full story of that <laughs> so later. agitation really does awesome. work. agitation does work at least they they took they took that one out so, well and that, that that highlights one thing just another aside sorry we're getting a lot of asides but i mean the fact is that it's it's embarrassing and it's really disturbing and problematic the extent to which the joseph smith polygamy narrative is is largely unknown among rank and file church members we think we are are taught the history of joseph smith but in fact um you know the joseph smith manual lists a history of joseph smith and it lists um a wife and there's an extensive um, sort of church history which individuals are taught and this does not go into the fact that Joseph Smith had multiple wives um, such that it's entirely possible for somebody to you know go to seminary go to institute you know read the ensign and never realize that Joseph Smith had 
33 wives. Well, here's, here's, um, the, to illustrate your point, I'm looking at the LDS, LDS.org slash PA slash display. Uh, anyway, if you search for, for Zena on the search, you'll, you'll find her biography because she was a Relief Society president. I will read it to you word for word. Zena D.H. Young, a midwife and an educator, worked closely with Eliza R. Snow in the Relief Society in the 18, Relief Society period. In 1870, Brigham Young called Sister Young to promote silk production among the women of the church as part of the church emphasis on home industry and self-sufficiency. During her presidency, the Relief Society affiliated with the United States National Council of Women and campaigned for women's suffrage. Sister Young continued the Relief Society emphasis on health care, grain storage, education, and compassionate service, period. The end. It doesn't mention that she was married to – It has her name is Young, inexplicably. Um, it doesn't mention any of her real, like, strong relationship with the early church. I, I mean, to, to, to me, to me, that's, that's, that's beyond the line of – I mean, that's deceptive. And yeah. those are good stories. I mean, I'm glad that they include but, those heartwarming stories. Uh, uh, Okay, so the, the silkworms. <laughs> yeah, the sil- everyone knows about the silkworms. Um, all right, so let's go back to Nauvoo. Um, so Joseph also did something several times, and that was marry multiple women from the same family. And and we're not just talking about sisters. Sometimes it's mother and daughter. The mother and daughter. When we talked about uh, the girl that you could Google, Josephine, I believe that her mother was married to Joseph. Sylvia and her mother, Patty, was married. So we have uh, Joseph Smith's alleged daughter. And her mother and her grandmother were both married to Joseph Smith. So that happened. Joseph married several pairs of sister, pair of sisters, and um, there is an argument that Joseph was not just seeking sexual uh, gratification from these marriages, and one that is commonly thrown out is that he was trying to form dynastic relationships in heaven. And what that means is dynastic relationships are often used throughout history to combine powerful families. So uh, historians will, will argue that Joseph Smith believed that the ceiling power uh, was connecting people throughout eternity. And in the frontier, when you look at the way that it was, someone can move away from the frontier and you would never see them again. Someone could die. It, it was on these people's minds, the permanence of families. And um, you couldn't communicate as easy as you could now. So this was a very persuasive doctrine. So well, Joseph- and, and let me, let's get, we have letters that exist from the time. It wasn't just like the ceiling power, it was a guaranteed salvation for you and your family if you were to submit to a marriage to Joseph. Right, and th- and that's another common misunderstanding about the temple now. Uh, they called it the Holy Order, and it was very exclusive and very secretive. And Joseph only allowed people that were basically in on polygamy into the Holy Order. And usually it was whoever he was sealed to, sometimes their parents, and usually their brother, or sometimes their spouse, and they were allowed to enter plural marriage too. So it was considered a big privilege as well. An autom- automatic yeah. exaltation. Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's, automatic it's, it's, exaltation. It's the Mordecai approach. I mean, you know, when you're the man who is in charge of a woman who becomes the wife of the king, you get a lot of power too. Um and it's exactly the same thing happening. The men who are in charge of the women who become Joseph's wives um, get a lot of power out of this. Right. And well, and I, to the dynastic approach, um, I, I will say that 
some people will say Joseph was only doing this for dynastic reasons. He only wanted to connect people. And I, I think that that's kind of a faulty argument too, because he often took multiple members from the same family. And I like to say either he was very thorough <laughs> or maybe <laughs> he was concerned sure. about apostasy or whatever. But in one case, he tried to marry three Johnson sisters, three of the Johnson sisters, but one was already engaged at the time. The twins is so last week. Yes. You know. And so he, he later, I believe it was William Clayton, his personal secretary, who we have a lot of this information from. And William Clayton was a very faithful and very devoted to Joseph Smith. Uh, when he, when the doctrine was introduced to him, I, I believe it was him that he wanted one of his sister-in-laws for himself. And Joseph said, no, 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 no. You already have two of the sisters. You can't have three from the family unless you get special permission. Hmm. So right. then the rule became two from a family. And Joseph, as far as we know, only had two from a family. He did try for three, but it didn't work out. So I, I, I agree with the dynastic argument. I think, matter of fact, they talked about it openly. You don't have to have a lot of conjecture. But I fail to see. I, I think some apologists use this as sort of, oh, well, it's not that bad. It's just dynastic. Because to, to me, in this whole thing, the sex is really secondary. I mean, because maybe I come from a, se- a cynical point of view. I think powerful men have sex with women. That period. It doesn't matter who they are. So, so the the idea that he's establishing these dynamic dynastic relationships and promising salvation to me is a worse transgression than the, than the fact that he was getting his game on. Um, because that that's that's more heavy duty. He is then really seriously tampering w- with with the doctrine. Well, I, I think he did that a lot. But again, I think that that was a very beautiful idea to a lot of people, very persuasive. I, I agree with, with the sex thing. I always tell people, if you have a problem with Joseph Smith's sex, that says more about you than it does about Joseph Smith. I mean, sex was part of plural marriage, whether we like it or not, in my opinion. Especially Brigham Young made a very good case for that. So the sex, I mean, we shouldn't get hung up on the sex of polygamy. There is evidence of it, and it is there, but... There is a lot of evidence that Joseph was very interested in connecting families. Now, do you want to mention the law of adoption? Yeah, and let's, I mean, so just a few, a few really good sources here. I mean, so Carmen Hardy, um, both Solemn Covenant is really good, or doing the works of Abraham, um, you know, where he says, like, and here's a quote out of Doing the Works of Abraham, where did it go? Um, you know, most scholars find the notion that the prophet's sexual ardor inspired his interest in taking additional wives to be too simplistic. Um, that is, there's more going on here than just Joseph was horny and wanted to get laid. Um, but, but Carmen Hardy continues a little bit easy. further down the page um, that without trying to get to an overly reductive explanation, he says, quote, it's difficult to ignore the lively sexual dynamics of early Mormonism. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was there was more going on than just sex. And these are people, I mean, Zina, Eliza, um, you know, um, Helen, these are people who are powerful women in their own right. Um, they're brilliant. They are connected to powerful families. Like, of course he wanted to have a dynastic tie to these, re- to these, um, families. So that, that makes sense. But yeah, I think it's, it's also overly reductionistic to say, therefore there was no sex and these were all just, uh, technicalities. Yeah. Like Lindsay was just saying, if, if- you know, history tells us if, if Joseph Smith wanted just sex, he wouldn't have gone through the bother of all this really stuff. Really yeah. easily. Not not right. this way. Okay, so I think there's two things we sort of glossed over really quick that before we get on to the law of adoption, I want to talk about that. We need to circle back on. 
For, the first one is we were talking about um, Henry Jacobs there. So my understanding is there's 12 women who were married to men. Yeah, it used to be wild, widely believed that there were 11, but I think that they've found one more, now, possibly two. And Already two, married when that, Joseph married. That were currently them. married when Joseph married. Some married to active members. Because I, I often hear the response, well, that's because their husbands were unrighteous. Be- because we, we have we have church um, discourse, and I think most of it comes from the Utah period, but I think it was at the same time, basically saying that all marriages that weren't performed by the church were invalid. I think Brigham Young one time said basically everybody is a, is living in adultery except for Mormons because <laughs> all the marriages are invalid. Yeah, and, but you, I mean, you said that Joseph yeah. Smith performed the marriage. Right. The, well, the he did, and and and, and there, there's a practical problem they were trying to solve early on, which is just like now, it's not always easy to get a divorce. And if you were on the frontier and you left your abusive husband, went out and joined the Mormons, you may not have had a divorce from the first husband in the first place. So. This was a problem they were dealing with anyway. Harley Pratt was murdered over that. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Um, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. I mean, the church faces that problem to some extent in South America today because of the Catholic, you know, countries that won't grant divorces. Um, so there were some of these that were that category that well, the woman had been married to a, um, non-member, had converted the church, was now looking for a celestial marriage. But then there was this other category where these men were faithful members of the church. Yeah, and sometimes right. they were Joseph's own uh, apostles. And and we can talk about that. There was also another common pattern. These men, these husbands would usually be on missions when their wives were approached. Uh, usually. That wasn't always the case. But um, Like, uh, should we talk about Nancy Hyde? Because this, this yes. one really chaps my, yes, my hide. Yes, this is, this is an important one. And... and uh, this is a great example. So her husband, Orson, was sent on a mission to Palestine. To Palestine, the famous mission to dedicate Palestine. Right. And they had only been married maybe two years. They were young newlyweds. And he's gone for eight months on this mission, and he comes back, and his wife is married to Joseph Smith. And now they had a good relationship at the time, Orson and Joseph, but uh, there are some records to suggest that Orson was furious. Well, and, and so. you skipped you skip chapter three, too. <laughs> Where she was living with um, uh, Willard Richards above the printing house. And then Joseph kind of took her from Willard. And she's kind of handed around a little bit. She was a great lady. <laughs> I, I admire her for getting her game on. I don't, I hope nobody. <laughs> well, can we say how Orson was appeased? Do we want to talk about that? I am all one? for consenting behavior among adults here. So, but. It's the, that's all the other icky parts. Of yeah, it. Go, sometimes go the spouses didn't know. Well, so if, if Orson was upset or if he wasn't, uh, I would guess that he was. He later took on plural wives himself. So, uh, George D. Smith calls us sharing favors. Um, and, and, uh, I don't mean it to be disrespectful in a, in a way to women to say that women were considered favors or gifts or possessions or prizes, but that is kind of how they were looked at. However crappy that idea is, it reoccurs in societies over and over again. Absolutely. And, and, um, again, Joseph would usually choose people that would be complicit in the secret. So he would choose a family member or spouse or a brother and have them approach uh, uh, or marry the, the woman. So they were complicit in the. Right. I've used the example in the mafia. They do the same thing. You don't get inside the mafia till you've done something really awful. Till everybody else has, you know, cause there's this, um, implied mutual destruction, assured mutual destruction, right? Where, 
where they've got the goods on you, you've got the goods on them, so you're 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 in the circle. I mean, and you can see yeah. that pattern come up over and over again in all sorts of secret societies. Well, and now John C. Bennett kind of comes into the picture because he's starting to have a falling out with the prophet, and he begins to publish his expose, Mormonism Unveiled, and in it are some kind of wild accusations about Joseph and Brigham. So, um, about Joseph's failed attempts to women. And there's this great story about Brigham Young being spurned. If you think Brigham Young has an ego, you have to read the story. Now, now you say wild accusations. So, so, and we need to, we don't have enough time to go into the John C. Bennett affair because it is fascinating and complex. And we'll have to do a whole podcast. <laughs> but the, he, he writes these accusations about brethren in the church, including Joseph Smith, and he uses v- women's initials. Right. Mm-hmm. And in many and cases, stars. we can, yeah, and stars for the number of letters in their name. Um, in many cases, we can track these to uh, affairs or marriages that we have other sources for. So there's right. much of that book that we can verify is at least factually correct. When I say wild, I mean, if you read the book, it, it is salacious. It's salacious and, and it's so entertaining. I would recommend it to everybody. And I think you have to be careful how you, how you, uh, source Bennett and cite him because a lot of people will say he's a bitter apostate. And, and of course he is flawed and he's problematic and he had an axe to grind. But like John said, all of his stories, I believe were corroborate, corroborated. I can't say that word with I, I other records. I don't think they were all, but a lot of them were. So, so my understanding is, and we have two sets. We have the set of stories of his that we can co- come, uh, we can collaborate, collaborate, whatever the word is. We can verify from other sources. Then we have some that he talks about alone that we don't have any other source for. But there's a, um, a tendency on the apologist to just dismiss all that outright. But actually, when we can verify his stories, they have a fairly good track record. And I'm not saying we should believe everything involved, he said. Right. And he, he was in Joseph's inner circle for a long time. He was the mayor of Nauvoo. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And these women were connected to him. And, and so, well, so I brought this up to say that at this time when this is happening, uh, the reason why, I, I guess I'm making our, an argument why Joseph would want to keep this secret other than Emma's wrath. Because John C. Bennett has published this thing and this anti-Mormon rhetoric is starting to really gain momentum. And they're thinking that these Mormons are starting to do some things that are a little, a little outside of Victorian norms. So, right. And, go ahead. And there, and, and the church has a, a very, um, violent history, uh, with community disapproval. Um, and so there, you know, this is what happens in Missouri. This is what happens in Kirtland. Um, you know, William W. Phelps publishes an editorial about blacks and coming to the state. And, um, you know, and then immediately the mob says, you're here to free the slaves. And the, the church retracts the editorial, but it's too late and there's violence there. So, so, the, I mean, Joseph's very aware that if there's any sort of indication, public indication, that the church is violating community norms, um, that there's the possibility of a violent expulsion, really. So what, what we have here with Bennett is we have these accusation, accusations of sort of free love, um, going on. And, and the church quickly, um, distanced themselves from Bennett. Bennett. And interestingly enough, the other one who was complicit in the, was complicit in this was Joseph Smith's brother William. Um, mm-hmm. And and the church tries to say 
Bennett and William were acting on their own because what they apparently would do was, was approach women and saying, we have this new spiritual wifery system. We, we can basically do whatever we want. Um, and that's fine in the eyes of God. We just have to keep it on the down low. Maybe I'm misrepresenting mm-hmm. spiritual wifery. No, no. That's, that's, that's a good, um, uh, have again, we, they, we... they wouldn't use that term. Again, Joseph Smith Papers has a big problem with that term, spiritual wifery. But yes, they, Joseph started bringing in just a few people in the inner circle. Um, and I'm trying to remember who it was that he brought in first. Was it William Clayton or was it Joseph Noble? Do you remember, Amy? Not off the top of my head. So, um, but there are just like a handful of people that are complicit in these marriages that he starts allowing. And like I said, Brigham Young has this great one where he approaches this girl and they, and, and Bennett writts about this in the expose. They bring him, Heber C. Kimball brings this girl into the room and they're all talking to her. And then Joseph enters and they make this big to do and they say, you're going to marry jo- Brigham. And she says, uh, I have to think about this. And they said, no, you don't. Come on. Ma- let's get married right away. Let's do it right now. We, we have time. Let's do it right now. And she said, I have to think about it. And, um, Brigham Young just doesn't know what to do with himself because this is his first attempt at marrying a plural wife. And so he lets her go. He makes her kiss him first. Oh, my God. And then um, she goes straight, writes it down, and she turns her letter into Bennett. And so so Bennett has some information that would be considered firsthand. So anyway, we can get back on track. I just wanted to talk about why Joseph would have motivations to keep it secret. Yeah, and I personally yeah, – and go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I mean, one one other – just, I mean, so talking about how it's happening and um, just the structure, one fascinating wrinkle is like if you think about somebody being a polygamist you know, or just entering a relationship, you think about them writing love letters like, you know, your eyes are like the stars or whatever else. <laughs> like there's none of that. I mean, Joseph Smith's love letters consisted of God has decided that you are to marry me. Um, which is a striking way to approach somebody for a relationship. And several I mean, times like, it involved an angel with a drawn sword threatening their life. That's right, important yeah, to angel, mention too. Yeah, a- angels will be killing me if we like. This is this. It's it's like a creepy BYU, you know, RM approaching some nineteen-year-old and saying, "God has decided we are to be married." But where oh, the, where, the, sort where of the romantic where the crime occurs for me. It, it, like I say, it's not about the, the, the sex at all. It is about the abuse of Joseph Smith's power and his position, because I, I think he carefully groomed the, the, his victims. I mean, let's be clear by by picking people who accepted him as the prophet. And we have a sort of a watered down version of prophets today, even with how respectful Mormons take their prophet. These guys believe that everything coming out of his mouth was sort of was was sort of gold and joseph like said that stuff all the time you know like um hey i was talking to moses yesterday and he was lisping or you know well towards the end they all voted him king of the earth yes so 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 these women were and they were very young in the the, the most time or otherwise they were connected to him and assumed him to be the spokesman for god and second only to jesus christ well and usually in in a lot of cases, their livelihood depended on Joseph. I mean, absolutely. And when I say that his pattern was to bring in orphan women, that was, I would say, a good majority of the girls. They had Joseph, been in the home. They were orphaned. Mm-hmm. They were otherwise, yeah, connected. And Joseph had usually them. met them young. There are stories that the women will say. I think it was Mary Leitner who says, "When I saw him as a young girl, 
like his eyes were on fire or something like that. You know, she was just so taken with his presence. And I think that that they were in awe of him, too. Well, what what is the movie um, that they used to show at the Joseph Smith building that has Joseph Smith in it? Um, oh, Legacy? Legacy. I, there's a great scene there because it's it's telling. It has this young girl, and Joseph comes in the room, and he lights up the room, and she, you know, she's in, in awe. But the thing they left out is that Joseph, three years later, when she reached the age of consent or close there, <laughs> too, would come and say, God wants you to be my my wife. You know, But they, they were in this position where he was a very, very powerful um, and influential guy. And that, to me, that's where the real crime in all this takes place. For now, me, the real crime is Emma because well, yes. she didn't want to have anything to do with it. Although, you mean and Emma's crimes by not, that's why she's going to be destroyed <laughs> no. in the Dr. Covenants? No, that, that he did it without her consent. Yes. Yeah. And I struggle with that too because, you know, first of all, when, and we're kind of moving away from this as a church, but there used to be a time when Emma was the bad guy. She was the one who lacked faith and, you know, Joseph was going to go to hell to pull her out and get her. And, um, that certainly came from Eliza Snow and, and Brigham Young. You know, there was a huge falling out there. And I think that a lot of that residual carried over to our Mormon doctrine. But I was under the impression that, and, and in all of these church movies, Joseph and Emma have this beautiful love story. Oh yeah. And the pictures of them, they're, they're just statues. always in love He's and gazing into him her, and eyes. her forever and, and ever. And if you read the history, she was tormented when she did find out these things. And when she was approached with this doctrine, she first threw the doctrine in the fire is how the the record goes when she was approached with the revelation. And then the elders have to come several times to cast out devils because she's so upset. And you have the bodyguard outside the, the door saying, Emma's throwing a fit. And she's saying, I can't do this. And then she's saying, okay, I can. I'm sorry for being so wicked. And she's, you can just see the struggle. And these are her friends, and they've been practicing it behind her back, in mm-hmm. her home. So yeah, they, they at one point they had a remarriage because yeah they, because, they staged one because Joseph hadn't yeah, told her. Yeah, because he hadn't told her that he's married to these girls who are living at the house, and then she says, "Fine, you can be polygamous, but be polygamous with these girls here at the house." And he's already married to them, and so they. They have a staged remarriage. That would be the Partridge sisters, right? Yep. Yeah. Do, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's, let's talk about them. They're, they're a very interesting story. They were also, um, I don't have my notes now because my computer shut down, but I have, they were, they were orphaned too and they came into the home at a young age and they were each doing different things and, and they really enjoyed it. They were helping take care of Emma's babies and, and at this time Joseph had built what was called the Nauvoo Mansion. And you can go and still see that in Nauvoo. And so the Nauvoo Mansion has a lot of history to it, but there were a lot of rooms like a hotel. And Joseph took Joseph and Emma took in a lot of young orphaned children. And I believe, is it the Partridge sisters that um, – so- um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, be careful because we've got we've we've got Lawrence sisters and we've got Partridge sisters. You're right. You're right. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, and I just wrote about the Lawrence sisters, so that's in my head. So I'll get there. So the Partridge sisters are are there, and they are supposed to be the first two women that Emma approved of. Now Joseph brought her the revelation and said, "You get to choose." This is how the story goes: You get to choose who the wives are, and she chose the Partridge sisters. Well, Joseph had married them a few months earlier. <laughs> So they have a remarriage and Emma's supposed to be there and, and the Partridge sisters say the minute that the marriage was performed, their wonderful relationship with Emma went south. 
really fast. How old were they when they married Joseph? They were... 17 and 18? 17 and 18, I think, yeah. So, um, late they're really young, and, and, and this is an interesting story. Um, Emily, I think, was... Was it Emily that was in the room with Joseph... With the door locked when Emma came outside. And, and I think that they were just having a discussion. I don't think there was anything going on there. But Emma found the locked door and she was in a fit and a rage and she demanded that they come out and, uh, told Joseph, I can't do this. These girls have to get out of here. And I think Eliza recounts this or Emily, I get this confused because I don't have my notes, but, um, Joseph approaches. Isn't it Eliza? Joseph approaches the one of the girls and she said he has this look on his face. He looks so resigned. There was nothing I could do. And Joseph said, I'm sorry, you have to leave. You have to leave the house. And uh, are you jumping in? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the you know, I don't want this house to be polluted like this. Um, yeah. The um, Emma being very, very upset um, and yeah. And saying like. Sorry, but yeah, you've, it's, you've got to go. Um, I mean, one thing about the Partridge sisters in a lot of ways, I mean, they are a, a good case study in possible dynastic relations because, of course, they're the daughters of the Navu bishop. Um, but, um, so, so, I mean, in that sense, like, it makes sense as, um, as dynastic links here, but yeah, they don't get treated very well. Well, um, and th- this I find is interesting because we have a conversation that happens with Emma. So Joseph comes in, he says, sorry, my hands are tied. Emma's upset. You have to leave. And they were, the girls were furious because they felt like, you know, we're doing what we're supposed to do. This isn't our fault, you know? And then Emma comes in and says, what did Joseph just say to you? And I think it's Eliza that says, I'm not going to tell you anything that he said. I, that's none of your business. And we have our own relationship. Yeah. And, and it's almost as if Emma is trying to protect the girl. She says, I've, I'm going to put a stop to this. I need to know what he said. And she said, no, I'm not going to tell you. She was very indignant about it. And, um, so the girls left and they went and stayed with another plural wife at the time. But, um, that's one instance of sisters living there. And so that marriage stayed. But from then on, Emma became bitter about it. And there's conversations and recollections of her sending out spies. I mean, there's accusations that she tried to poison Joseph. And this all comes from, um, what's Mormon that? Mormon Enigma. Book? Yes, thank you. Yeah. So Emma was clearly tormented. It was not like this love story, this perfect love story. Right, yeah, and it's, I mean, a couple of other things that we should mention at this point, um, sorry to just keep dropping these sides, but, so there's a lively cottage industry of Joseph Smith polygamy denial, um, and every time Lindsay writes a post, um, they show up. So, there are basically, um, two categories of polygamy denial. We've talked a little bit about one, which is that there was no sex, you don't have the photographs to prove it um in addition um at the time the r well you go back to the rlds church the reorganized church um their official doctrine was that polygamy was just something that brigham made up um and of course this is possible to assert because polygamy was never public in nauvoo joseph smith never made a public 
public statement. In fact, he made several public statements against spiritual wifery. Um, and then it's not until 1852 when Brigham Young says, oh, by the way, this is what we've been doing for the last decade. Um, so the RLDS church position for many years was that this is just stuff Brigham made up. Um, they actually sent missionaries to Utah to convert the Mormons away from um, polygamy and this led to some fascinating debates where Joseph Smith's wives would show up and say, we were married to him. And um, Joseph Smith's kids would say, no, you weren't. Um, so there are still people, there are websites that say Joseph Smith didn't actually introduce polygamy. Um, yeah, I believe it's called DefendingJoseph.com is a big restorationist site. Right. And there's a book called Joseph Smith Fought Polygamy, um, which you can buy from a splinter offshoot of the former reorganization. His church, um, which sets out the claim that this is all something that Brigham made up, and it's all now smearing Joseph's good name to suggest that he was ever involved. So, since we've talked about um, Emma, let's let's sort of talk about how this all falls apart. And I, <laughs> I want to go back to a pivotal um, uh, event from the Joseph Smith letter to Nancy Rigdon, eleventh of April, eighteen forty-two. The thing I love about this letter, I'm going to read you the first part, is the church still quotes from this letter. A lot. Um, <laughs> so it's in the church history. It is, but they they edit out the the, the best parts. So the, the the first paragraph in this letter, everybody will recognize. Happiness is the object and design of our existence, and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all the commandments of God. I'm going to stop there because this points out to the duplicity of language that I think apologists hide under all the time. Because he says there, virtue, and we all know in the church, virtue means not having sex. <laughs> all right, continues. But we cannot keep the commandments without first knowing them, and we cannot expect to know all or more than we now know unless we comply with or keep those we have already received, period. That which is wrong under one circumstances may be and often is right under another. So at Joseph Smith, there's two things here. He's sort of um, dismantling his own religious teachings and um, starting to teach that, well, even though we said this is wrong here, we're going to do that over here. But he's also overextending himself. We we mentioned before, he starts like propositioning a lot of people. And I, at some point, I don't know why it didn't go through his head that if this goes south, it's going to go south in a very bad way. Now, um, if my recollection suits me right, Nancy approaches her father and her father of course, um, Sidney Rigdon starts to become one of the big crusaders against polygamy in Nauvoo. And, of course, there are a couple other names that are important there. Emma, we've talked about, um, who is now at this time in charge of the Relief Society. And then William Law, we're going to talk about in a second. But I have in my hand the Daughters in My Kingdom, the History and Work of Relief Society, this year's <laughs> manual, fresh off the press, on page, talk about it. on page 182, there is important events in the history of Relief Society. March 17th, 1842, organized. 1843, Emma Smith and her counselors appoint visiting committees. The next date is the martyrdom of the prophet. 1846, the saints leave Nauvoo. 1846, the Nauvoo Temple is dedicated. None of these have anything to do with the Relief Society. 47, the pioneers go west. 1867, Brigham Young calls on bishops to reestablish the Relief Society. <laughs> now, what's, what's missing from there? I mean, why, why, why do you need to reestablish something 
Um, I don't think anyone ever asks that question. I mean, we never talk about that, why the Relief Society disappeared for a while. The fact is that it's missing from all the church histories, but Joseph Smith disbanded the Relief Society after it turned into a... um, Witch hunt. A polygamy, an anti-polygamy um, crusader, as we pointed out with the counselors and most of the women in it already entered into polygamous Yeah, religion. and there are fantastic transcripts of these interviews. Uh, and first of all, the re- first Release Society minutes, if if I could go to Release Society like that, I would go. It's interesting. These women talked about things and they argued and... They stood up to the men. I mean, it's so different than, than these, than these really sanitized things that we have now. In fact, I think Laurel Thatcher Ulrich said that the Daughters in My Kingdom book is a good history of the disappearance of the Relief Society. <laughs> but, um, you know, so you have Emma with this little committee and she would call in people and interview them in kind of a courtroom like, uh, setting and about polygamy if they were accused. And what she didn't know are the people on her committee were Joseph's wives, many of them. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So, yeah, no, a couple, a couple of them just to brief. So, so Daughters in My Kingdom actually, and Laurel talked about this, um, in her talk recently, um, it, it mentions polygamy, um, for one of the first times in a church publication. So it mentions the existence briefly of Joseph Smith polygamy, but doesn't go into it at all. So, I mean, it's a sort of a fascinating missed opportunity there. Um, well, to be fair, I will give this, this uh, argument for that. I think that, um, like when I was watching Joseph Smith papers today on TV, it's always on, they do a series on it. They mentioned it, the church mentioned it, which is good. But uh, it's really hard. You need context for a lot of this. I mean, you can say Joseph married a married woman and everyone goes, oh, no. And you have to put that in context with a lot. So I think that it would be difficult in that kind of book to talk about it and give it the kind of history that I would be satisfied with. Why is it difficult? You can read Pick Up Church Manuals and they will give all this context on Old Testament events that people know nothing about. You know, it's all conjecture. So it's it's a matter of choice. You're right. That's true. It's a little bit less salacious. It it could, but there... And you guys, there's all listening, kinds of salacious stuff in the Old Testament. You probably know this, you church authorities, and trying to figure out what to do. You're losing the war because of this, because of Google, and everybody else is providing the context, and you are just handing the whole fight over. You've got to grow a pair and step up and own it. Yeah, and that's what I say too. I mean, I think Michael Quinn called it inoculating the saints with this information. I always knew that Brigham Young was a polygamist. I had my eighth birthday at the Lion House. You know, we, he was a polygamist. We just, that's what it was. Everyone I was a Mormon. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I was really betrayed and I lost trust in all my leaders when I found out Joseph Smith first was a polygamist. I didn't know that till I was 23. And then second, when I found out not only was he a polygamist, but he married, married women and he lied to Emma about it. And the story kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it's taken me years of study until I can like kind of come out of this finally to, to where I'm in a good place and not an angry place, but polygamy causes so much anger, particularly for women. I know, I know women that my sister-in-law can't talk about it. She's very faithful. You cannot talk about it. It's too hurtful. And it's one of those things she believes that she'll have to accept in the afterlife. And you know, when you die, everything will be okay. And I just think that it's cruel to do that to our sisters. There's so much pain. We need to talk about this. We need to, we're big kids. Give us more, you know? And actually, if you start out telling children these stories as if they're okay, I mean, as bad as it is, they'll accept it. 
I mean, that's right. what the church really should do. If it, if it wants to stop losing members over these things, they need to start early and start telling Someone the write truth. a polygamy uh, children's songbook. <laughs> but, children's song. But see, um, polygamy. The, the problem is I am doing we it. have <laughs> Dallin Oaks in 2002 at BYU proudly pro- proclaiming that he is a polygamist. Right. And, mm-hmm. and the problem is it's not, you know, and, and Hinckley misrepresents and gets up there and says this is behind us. It's not behind us. The reason the church can't deal with it is the church hasn't dealt with it. It's still their doctrine. It's in our doctrine and covenants. Yeah, one one thirty two. And, and we haven't even talked about the rhetoric that we have in Utah period in the journal discourses that we still pick oh. and choose from in our manuals. I mean, Brigham Young taught that if you didn't enter plural marriage, sorry, you weren't going to the highest level of a social kingdom. And even if you don't believe that, you don't accept that, the, the question that I would have for, 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 for the brethren is, when you go to the celestial kingdom, will Joseph be married to all those women still? Will right. Brigham Young be married to all those women? Of will course. they be adopted? It I mean, there's the whole doctrine out. of adoption. Yeah, we, we, God will take we've had to sort of um, skip over that. So... So well, can we can we go back to um, Rigdon's and Eliza R. Snow? She's a big one. Yes, please. I think yeah. Kaimi has kind of a little crush on her. I don't. <laughs> I don't share. No, I don't share the same enthusiasm. I think Eliza R. Snow has a lot to offer, but she also did a lot of damage to women right. in in only a way that a woman could. She also wrote a lot of bad poetry. Oh, hey, some good stuff. That's just not nice. <laughs> uh, too soon? Uh, she gave us Heavenly Mother. Take it back. <laughs> no, uh, I I think I'm being a little harsh on her. Eliza Snow was very talented, but, you know, I tend to disagree with her on Emma Smith. And Emma, Eliza Snow correlated the Relief Society. She was like one of the first. And she was so in Brigham Young's camp later on that she... Uh, really benefited from her attachments while other women didn't. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my only thing with her. But she was involved in the Nauvoo era polygamy quite a bit. Do you want to tell a story, Kaimi, since she's your girl? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so and and I just I think I mean she is such an example of the fact that she was this smart, focused, um, energetic woman. And so I mean of course I, I, I say this to Lindsay and she laughs, but I'm like, you know, of course Joseph Smith wanted a relationship with her. Like, yeah. I read about her and, you know, I want to date her and she's been dead for a hundred years. Like, it's, um, you know, so I, I think there's something about her that is, I mean, there's a lot of energy and just vitality there. Um, but she quickly ends up in relationships with Joseph Smith, with Brigham Young. Her brother becomes president of the church. Um, so, yeah, so, so she is this smart, um, well-educated poetess who shows up, um, and, you know, goes to Kirtland. She's a Campbellite briefly. Um, she comes to Kirtland. She is cultured. Um, she is, I mean, she writes poetry. Um, she's somebody who writes a lot. And, and there are a lot of smart women in Nauvoo, but Eliza, really does stand out as like being one of the smart ones. Um and, and she so did a lot of writing. We, I mean we have a lot of her journals as right. recollections later yeah, on. Yeah, so she 
and and so she's and she's really theologically innovative. She, she's interested in Joseph as a theological innovator in ways that sometimes others aren't. So I think this is probably. I mean, this has to be attractive to Joseph, somebody who is not just um, sort of worshiping him as a prophet, like um, you know, hero worship, but actually wants to discuss the theological innovations that he's interested in doing. Plus, he spoke both so, Adamic um, and Nephite. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so at this point, um, so he ends up yeah, so he so he marries Eliza. Like this is this is absolutely to be expected. I think like this is you know the alpha female and the alpha male in the community sort of saying we are going to be you know the rock stars of the community. And she lived um, in it for a time in the Nauvoo mansion. Yeah, and unfortunately there was a problem, which is that Joseph was married to Emma, and Emma didn't know about this. Okay, now should we um, should we talk about that story? The That's, stairs. Yes, the stairs. Well, we're gonna have to mention let's, let's that we'll get in trouble stairs. for it. Okay, the stairs is is a controversial story and it's problematic, but I'm going to tell it. Uh, there there are a few accounts. And Eliza R. Snow even refers to this later on in some of her poetry. The story goes basically that Joseph and Eliza share a kiss at the top of the stairs. Now, some witnesses say that Eliza, who never had children, was heavy with child. She was pregnant. And Emma comes out and sees this and with is Joseph's furious. Joseph's baby? Yes. 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 That, that is what it's uh, One account to. says. Yes. Okay. Emma sees the kiss. She gets furious. She throws Eliza down the stairs, and and Eliza loses the baby. With now, a broom, and is With never able to have children. Never, that. yes. And we we can talk about that in just a minute. But then Eliza's thrown out into the street in the middle of the night, and of course this is scandalous, especially for the time. And and. This caused a huge stir, and Eliza has a falling out with Emma. This is where they become uh, friends to enemies, and now Eliza has to go live with another plural wife, and she nurses her wounds, and she writes this, you know, really angry, sad poetry about it, like poets do. And uh, it's kind of a scandalous story, but Kaimi, do you want to talk about why it's problematic? I mean, so it's problematic. Because, like with a lot of stories, um, there's no direct evidence. Instead, we get after the fact, um, sort of, um, you know, statements from members of the Snow family. Somebody told me that this is what happened with Eliza. Um, so, um, Jill Durr, um, has said she does not credit the stairs story, and she's the person who's done more research on Eliza than anybody else. Um, and in addition, there is a, um, yeah, there, there are other, so Eliza never does, never does have children. Um, so that's one of the pieces of the puzzle, which sometimes gets used to suggest that therefore the story is true. But, um, um, Jill Durr, um, has mentioned there are other speculations about Eliza's inability to have children, um, including the possibility that she may have been, um, assaulted um, by the mob. So Right, and Todd Compton points out he he mentions the story in his book In Sacred Loneliness, but he also points out that it would be ironic that a kiss would make Emma mad when Eliza would be visibly pregnant. <laughs> so that's problematic too. And I think that the pregnancy story comes from Charles C. Rich and he, who was said to eyewitness the account. But we do know that there was some big to do and Emma was thrown out in the night. And it caused a problem. Yeah, yeah. That we do know. Eliza. Well, it, it, Eliza's yeah. it's one of those stories that plays so perfectly into the narrative of 
Emma being a, a witch and, you know, right. and uh, it just, it just too good to be true sort of thing for me. I, I, there might yeah, be elements and, and of think, it that are, I think correct. that, uh, legend of of Eliza being thrown on the stairs carried over into the Utah period when Emma was vilified. Right. It was just kind of like what they talked and about. And Eliza was mm-hmm. was still was the queen bee. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean Eliza was going by the name Eliza R. Snow Smith. I mean this is what's on her gravestone. I mean this is she is playing up the um, relationship which she has with Joseph Smith. At the same time, she's writing all of the hymns in our hymnal, and Emma is the sort of the evil person. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of that going and on. Clarissa Young says some interesting things about her, you know, and it's she she's sort of untouchable uh, by Brigham's Brigham Young. Brigham's daughter. Brigham's daughter who wrote, wrote Brigham Young at home. Yeah, she had um, special privileges. Yeah, she, she, she was... In the Young home. Yep. Okay, so I think we've 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 covered a lot of a lot of the areas from from the Wait, the, we did mention something that we we needed to just seal up and that was Emma's request. Right? Oh, with William Locke. Right. right. Yeah, we'll seal that up for all eternity. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so the story goes that uh uh Emma was really upset now that she knew about this uh, revelation and and I should say, even though Emma knew about it, she did not know about all the wives to follow. She knew of a handful, but Joseph was still secretly marrying a lot of women that Joseph that Emma did not know about. But Emma was upset about it, and um, it it go the story goes that Emma approached Joseph and said, "Hey, if you get to have all these women, I want someone for me too." Uh, I want William Law because he's a nice little man. <laughs> yeah, a nice little man. <laughs> so, and William Law was happened to be the second counselor in the first presidency. He would later on, go on to publish the Nauvoo Expositor and uh, have that falling out with Joseph. But uh, that's what it, that Emma was said to have wanted. So let's should we read the scripture? Oh, please do. So, <laughs> yeah, this is canonized. DNC one thirty two. The the um um. Of verse 51, Verily I say unto you a commandment I give unto mine handmaid Emma Smith, your wife, whom I have given unto you, that she stay herself and partake not of that which I commanded you to offer unto her. So the offering is said to be that she could take another man for herself, being William Law. Yes. And then, uh, should we... <laughs> That's funny because those scriptures never came that way in my marriage and family <laughs> no. Sunday school classes. You won't find but, that in the manual. Yeah, it's 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 a and then it says. I mean, just to to finish some of the the good stuff. And I mean, it says that um, if Emma doesn't accept the um, the doctrine of of plural marriage, that um, in fact the law of Sarah um, will be revoked. He'll, that Joseph will be exempt from the law of Sarah, which is the idea that. Um, so if Emma cooperates, she will get some choice in who Joseph marries. This is the law of Sarah. But, um, that if, um, and, and so this is verse 65. Um, if she received not, not this law for him to receive all things whatsoever I, the Lord his God, will give unto him, because she did not believe and administer unto him according to my word, she then becomes the transgressor. That is, if Emma doesn't cooperate with polygamy, she is in sin, and he is exempt from the law of Sarah. Meaning Joseph will continue to go find plural wives and Emma's not going to have any say in it. Which she didn't most of the time anyway. Which means right. 
Either way, she has to put up with something she doesn't want. Right. And I, and I believe she was threatened with this several times, you know, with her, with her exaltation. Well, they said she would be destroyed. Right. In, and, and I scriptures. think she does mention that she felt like her life was threatened. She, she mentions that later on that her life was threatened. And if I believe the story goes, um, this offer was later retracted and offered as an Abrahamic type test. I thought, I thought, um, William Law said no. Okay, well, so yeah, yeah so Joseph approaches. Well, okay, Joseph- so let's let's talk about a little bit who William Law was. Okay. Um. Um. So so William Law was the stake president. Um. And this is extremely important because the whole concept of the twelve and of stakes changed after Joseph Smith died. So the stake president had dominion over the high, whole area of Nauvoo, and the twelve, because um, the stake president had his own. Council of the of of or what do they call them the twelve what what are they called in a stake um, the high council mm-hmm. so so at the time the high council of the stake has sort of equivalent powers with the twelve who are supposed to be the high council for everybody who's not in a stake and the right. the dominant structure that we have now emerged later so mm-hmm. so William Law was only answering to Joseph Smith and not to the twelve. Of course, the 12 had all sort of adopted into polygamy. Um, so William Law sat in an extremely powerful position. And, and in the last days of Nauvoo, there was this schism. We, we, we've hinted at it. You have Emma on the one side who's rejecting polygamy. You have, um, 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 Rigdon who's, who rejects it and is, is, you know, Joseph Smith's number two man. You have Bennett who had been cast out be- because of it. So the, the, the sides are starting to draw down here in, in, in Nauvoo. And, and you think about all these relationships and every one of them was a house of cards, right? Yeah. Anybody could have gotten pregnant. People could have gone public. Um, I'm and sure we have, we have documentation to support both theologies now. We have. Right. We have Joseph publicly saying in meetings, I can only find one wife and people are accusing me of having many. So there's, so there's a side to be fought on each side here. Mm-hmm. Legitimately. Legitimately. Yeah. So William Law. So that, I mean, that, that's who William Law was. And this leads up to the Nauvoo Expositor. Right. Which ultimately led to Joseph's martyrdom. Yeah. Now, we've covered the expositor in depth on this podcast before, and I'll stand by our previous statement, which is there is nothing that's factually incorrect in the novel expositor. Right. Matter of fact, it's not even that fl- inflammatory. Everything that's laid out there is, is, is true. I think Joseph reaches the end of his line on this game that he's playing, and then he orders the, the printing press destroyed, which sets in motion the, 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 the last events that led to his well, martyrdom. And, and several of the charges were related to polygamy. So William Law, once he finds out, he, of course he's been hearing the rumors about polygamy, and finally Joseph approaches him, and he he is said to have approached uh, William Law's wife, Jane, first. He wanted her as as a plural wife, and she was not having it. And William Law, now I've heard that he was an adulterer, uh, which is Later funny because that's the, the the claim they always throw at each other, you know. Oh, sure, you got you got to put a ring on it. That's what I say. <laughs> well, it, it's it's just the first thing that comes to mind. You know, always pay attention to what other people accuse because there's always something going on there. You know? I will say, as far as I'm aware, most church historians do consider William Law fairly credible. So, I mean, he had an axe to grind. He was excommunicated be- because he got upset with this whole wife swapping type. I hate to use that word, but Joseph says, Hey, 
I want your wife. You can get married to my wife. William says no. And that makes him a bad guy. Yeah. And he he ends up getting excommunicated over it. And then he wants to publish the expositor and he tells everyone we're going to publish this. And and they come back. I think it was Hiram Smith that approached him, right? And said, don't do this. And Mm -hmm. we'll let you back into the church. Because there is some evidence we should probably mention. And I, I... you guys might know the sources better. Joseph Smith, it appears, had quit marrying women the last six months or so. He, he wouldn't. Uh, it's, so it's hard because it's foggy. But the one thing, I, I'll let, and then I'll let you explain what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he he did. There was a break, but he was also involved in a lot of other entanglements that would have prevented him. De- definitely, but there there's a source that claims that Joseph Smith went to William Law and said, "I've done something terrible here, and I've I need to sort of retract. I need to sort of." figure it out um, mm-hmm. at, um and i don't yeah. i don't have the source on that one i don't yeah no late 1843 is when we have our sort of the end of our confirmed wives and then we get some other speculative wives um at some point in the line but um but yeah he he, he does he goes in these these bursts of activity um which involve marrying a whole lot of women and then he stops for periods of time well, can I can I just bring up the Lawrence sisters really fast because mm-hmm. they're important. So another pair of orphan sisters are the Lawrence sisters, and they're they're very important to this William Law story because when they uh, when their father passed away, he left a considerable estate, and Joseph somehow we don't know how acquired. Uh, control of their estate. So he becomes not only their husband, but uh, the amount was supposed to be like $8,000. And uh, her her mom remarries and tries to get this money back and it's unsuccessful and there's all of this going back and forth. William Law is involved in the legal proceedings trying to get this money back with the Lawrence sisters. William Law gets really turned off by polygamy during this during this issue. And there's a story of William confronting Joseph and he's said to be crying and he puts his arms around the prophet's neck and says, please abandon this practice, please. And Joseph says, I can't, I can't do that. So, so maybe that's what you're talking about. It might be from this, the same story. Well, it all gets sketchy here. Cause you know, William law eventually hooks up with the reorganized church, which gets into official or, or practices denial of it. And, and evidence gets buried. It, the, the whole thing just like we've talked about it. Yeah, it, It's so messy. And it and it's really sad because William Lott did love Joseph Smith, and and, and it's clear that he loved the idea of the restoration. You and know? he loved like, the Book of Mormon. He said that in the Expositor. I mean, they they. It's it's such a shame that the church has taken you know people like Emma and and William and just sort of dragged them through the mud because they wouldn't accept polygamy, which right. now the church denounces. Right, and uh, and that's what no, I deny. <laughs> not denounce. We. I, I just think it's unfair that so many people sacrifice so much for this principle and because we're uncomfortable with it, we we don't like to talk about it or we say we don't really know or we don't know that we teach that or whatever and, it and is. And that is the, the dilemma. I think you've hit on it right there that the church has today. If the church completely backs away from polygamy, then you're left trying to explain, you know, the, 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 the language uh, of of all this stuff, and but if you accept it, you, uh, the the reason there's a good reason why the church just keeps editing it out of all of its manuals. 
It's uncomfortable. Right. Well, and, and the stories don't add up, right? I mean, like Joseph saying, oh, we, we have to get married or an angel with a drawn sword is going to kill me doesn't make sense if we're just going to do away with it, if, you know, a few decades later and now consider it sort of a weird um, especially anomaly. Since, especially yeah. since an angel wouldn't approach him on other types of really tricky well, revelations. I want to read you from the affidavit of Lucy Walker. This is her language. When the prophet Joseph Smith mentioned the principle of plural marriage to me, I felt indignant and so expressed myself to him because my feelings and education were averse to anything of that nature. But he assured me that this doctrine has been revealed to him of the Lord and that I was entitled to receive a testimony of its divine origin for myself. He counseled me to pray to the Lord, which I did, and thereupon received from him a powerful and irresistible testimony of the truthfulness and divinity of plural marriage, which testimony has abided with me ever since. You can't just dismiss polygamy and, mm-hmm. and without underkicking the whole system. You, how do you deal with with, with the, that sort of language? And it's clear it was one of the great personal sacrifices. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's 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 like reading it's like reading about the South and the Civil War or something like people making spectacular personal sacrifices for the wrong cause. Um, right. And, and yeah, it's. I mean, and you don't want to to endorse the cause, but it's really sad at the same time to just take these stories of intense personal sacrifice and just sweep them under the carpet. And the church has to, the, what, I like that you mentioned the South because we, we live in the South for a while. And if you go to any city museum, they embrace full on the racism that was in the city. They, they don't have, embra- embrace it, but they acknowledge it's, it's, it. It's fully out they in the open. They don't ignore it. Because there's no other choice because it's there. Um, and that's what the church has to do. And I, I gave you guys my standard before the podcast, which is you can tell what the church, which its true position on by whatever it translates into Spanish. Because, you know, most of the members by the church's own account are in other languages and, and that's where they can really control the, the, the dialogue. Um, well, and I think I, Peggy Fletcher Stack in the Salt Lake Tribune wrote an article that compared Joseph Smith to Warren Jeffs and it caused a big outcry. And I think that the church was upset about it as well. And we like to distance ourselves from Warren Jeffs. <laughs> Believe me, I understand that. But Warren Jeffs still practices the law of Sarah. He still practices polygamy in a very Joseph Smith type way. And I know that sounds heretical to say because we're so uncomfortable with what Warren Jeffs does. Um, but that's what it was, and this is our doctrine, and we need to own up to it. And I always tell Kaimi, I always make a joke, if Warren Jeffs is right, and we're all wrong, and heaven is having eternal sex with Warren Jeffs, like, <laughs> I will go to hell and spend time with Johnny happily, Depp. Very happily. Well, you, yes. <laughs> you joke about that, but that was a key element in my disaffection with the church, was realizing I knew enough about this history that I no longer cared if it was true or not. That I didn't want any part of it. Right. If heaven is hell for most women, what kind of God does that? Right. And I, and I think that that's, you know, it's, it's really weird. I have a really complicated testimony myself. I don't think that polygamy necessarily negates the inspiration or the man that Joseph Smith was, but I do not believe it's from God. I adamantly do not believe it's well, from I, God. Well, I think the church has a clear th- thing to do. It, it, it's going to be painful. But it's it's just like you know reconciliation in South Africa. They just have to say 
We have no idea. This is this is awful, and we're no longer defending him. But you know the relief that it would cause for so many people. I mean, I think we're so scared to go there to say that we were wrong or that Joseph Smith was flawed. I actually really like Terrell Givens' approach that Joseph was so flawed that Joseph chose to restore a church through such a flawed vessel. I like that. I can get on board with that. What I can't get on board with is lying about it or covering or saying we don't know or don't think about it. We women think about this. My husband made this offhand joke when we were first married, like, oh, if you mess up on the dinner, I'm going to find another wife that, you know, some, <laughs> some joke like that. And totally joking. And that stuck with me and it hurt. Well, the, the problem is the church can do it. But the, pro- the church has to give up the church practice. I mean, the church can't be as hardline about everything. It, it actually makes for a beautiful theology. It says, look, look here, we believe this guy restored it, and he is messed up in a lot of ways. Isn't right. that something, a beautiful message about all of us? Because, I mean, that's one of the central messages and of a lot of Christians. What a relief to think about that, to think yeah. that, I mean, you see Joseph and Emma, and it's in, in these movies, and you think, that I'm not like that. I mean, Joseph Smith's compared to Jesus quite a bit. That's not attainable. It's not realistic. And it's not who Joseph was. But can you imagine the, the, the healing power of a church where two 16 year olds come ca- crawling into the bishop saying, we messed up last night. And the message could be, God still loves you. Do you know what Joseph did? Right. <laughs> I mean, but, and look but the, at what he did with. Right. But, but it's a, com- it's a complete reversal, you know, because, <laughs> and I think that's probably one of the reasons it hasn't been done is because the, the church loses a lot of its, 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 its power of control. But the guys, I'm, I'm talking to you at that 47 North Southwest Temple or whatever. <laughs> um, you're, you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, it it's, you can't, the, the they time are has losing come. control and what they're doing is causing anger and mistrust. I mean, I, I think, for me, like I said, it wasn't the polygamy ultimately that made me upset with the church. It was the fact that I felt like I could never trust the church leaders again. Right. And, and, yeah. and that was, that was the issue for me. And I think that it's so unnecessary. And if we got rid of polygamy, if we said, Oh, that was a mess up or Joseph was really trying to experiment and he got it wrong or whatever, whatever spin we want to take. So many women, every woman in my ward is going to go, <sighs> Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and we've got a, we've got a template in place. I mean, that's the narrative which is used now with Peter, right? Like, look at flawed Peter who denied Christ, but he still figured things out. Um, so yeah, a similar narrative could be used. Um, it would require change, but I mean, right now, okay, you know, what is the church position on polygamy right now? It's that there's good polygamy and bad polygamy. And right. good polygamy is the stuff that happened during this very brief time window when God permitted it, and everything else is bad polygamy. And sometimes including... only to prophets. Right. And, yes, yeah, so, and, and that's a story which, I mean, you know, you read um, Jill Durr in Women of Covenant, and it's like Emma was rejecting the good polygamy along with the bad polygamy, and that's the problem. And she was rejecting spiritual wifery, but also the real restored stuff, which is good. And, yeah, it's a, it's a narrative which isn't working as we learn more about polygamy, and people start saying, wait a minute, what's what's the difference here? Well, you, you hear so often, we don't practice polygamy. We don't practice polygamy. I hear my member friends say that all the time. The problem is we do practice polygamy posthumously in the temples. And um, the policy, in my opinion, is sexist because it goes one way. Right. And Joseph Smith, you know, to his credit, he, if he did offer Emma the chance, I mean, I can get on board with the idea that heaven it, it, as a spiritual celestial being, you're so intertwined and so intimate spiritually 
that we're all connected to each other. I can get on board with all that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, and I think like, you know, we get tied up in all of that in the sex stuff. But I mean, if you're a celestial being and you know everything or whatever God is supposed to be, aren't we are all connected in such an intimate way? I can get on board with that. What I can't get on board with is Dallin H. Oaks can take on as many women as he wants, but his wife has to, his dead wife has to, you know, only suffer with one. I just don't think that's fair. And that's, you know, I think, I mean, Lindsay is onto something like people, it's, it's, I mean, it's disconcerting, but, but people, some people really liked polygamy. And I think some of the things they liked about it are the idea of an expansive, um, set of family connections where you can have these sort of deep, bonds with lots of people and you know with sister wives and with people around you and that it's you know monogamy is especially at the time you know we're talking 1800s monogamy is a very asymmetrical relationship um and polygamy was asymmetrical in different ways but polygamy for some women was was a freeing relationship and at least the idea that we don't have to always be in these deeply asymmetrical bonds of male power and female lack of power, despite the very problematic ways in which Joseph executed this. I mean, it is a very progressive and freeing idea. And I think we could, I mean, as a church bond with that idea, um, I don't, you know, I don't know how one would do it exactly. Well, but, I just I have mean, to yeah. say this is my, I'm, I'm a big gay rights activist in the church. Uh, we can't get on board with that until we stop this rhetoric of what we believe a family is now. Exactly. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think to, to your, to your point, um, you know, the, the sex researchers today, you know, there's a lot of people say that all these other alternative lifestyle, you know, polyamory or open marriages don't work. And then the response is, well, monogamy is not working for us either. So, 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 but the, the church to distance itself from polygamy fetishized this nuclear family model from the 1950s to such an extent that it's, it's crossed over the line into ridiculousness. And I, I think there's a point that we can back away from that and, and, and to, to, you know, gay rights and other, other family relationships that, that work for people and say, that's okay. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, they have to endorse everything, but they've gone so far to saying, this is the model families are the forever. Only, and is, only one man and one woman when they, when they clearly don't even practice that. Yeah. yeah, I just feel like we don't have a place to say what a family looks like in our church because we've had such a variety, right, of family <laughs> relationships. So, right. And if our and if heaven is that way, then we really need to start rethinking what a family is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, as I, yeah, and as I just said on feminist Mormon housewives, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like same sex. If, if, if if these are all about Joseph creating a tie to Heber C. Kimball's family, you know, through the 14-year-old daughter, isn't that really just basically a precursor to a same-sex marriage anyway? Because Joseph's really interested in a bond with Heber. Yeah. Well, and the law of adoption would play into that. Right. So there's room for it. There's plenty of there room. There is. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, I don't know. I think a lot of people would embrace the, the church. If the church makes any change on this or another front, they're going to lose um, a lot of people. But it's the lunatic fringe, and you don't want to play to that crowd. They're anyway. losing the good people right now. Right? Yeah, the, they're going to exchange one group for another, and you want to keep the group that you're losing. And but it it does. I I'll be first to admit it entails a huge revamping of the theology, but we're overdue for it anyway. And like I said, there's room. There's plenty of room. 
All right. Well, um, thanks for the, the, the fascinating discussion. This is one of those things that you just keep peeling away layers and layers. And, layers. and I'm sure you were all like me. There were a thousand, even though we took a hundred tangents, there were a thousand more that we skipped over. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. And, yeah. We didn't get to, yeah, we didn't even talk about Helen. Um, yeah. Yeah. We didn't talk about the 14 and 15 year olds and yeah, uh, it's just, it's just end, endless. Um, so, and, and the, you know, um, and maybe this is a challenge to both of you. The definitive book on Mormon polygamy has yet to be written. It's still it's still out there in somebody's head. Brian Harris sure. is writing I, one right now. I've heard several people are writing one, but I want I want, I want to read it. You know, I want um, it in I, my hands. I, I mean, so so just to briefly talk about that. I mean, so right now, you know, for my money, um, Carmen Hardy's books. He's got two are probably the best um, single encapsulation. Um, we have Solemn Covenant and um, Doing the Works of Abraham. Um, but there's also, I mean, Van Wagner has a book. Um, Todd Compton's book is excellent. If you um, haven't read that, go buy it, everyone. Yeah, yeah seriously. Um, and Lawrence Which one? Foster. In Sacred, oh, um, in Sacred Loneliness. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, the Holy Trinity is, is um, Van Wagner's Mormon Polygamy, A History, Todd Compton's um, In Sacred Loneliness, and then um, Bajer's, um, um The Mysteries of Godliness, because you right. really have to understand the, 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 the theology behind it. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of really good stuff. Um and you know, and I would recommend too, a lot of the old defenses are still available. I mean, you can read Helen Marr writing her defense of, you know, why we practice plural marriage. Um and you can read that for free on Google Books and it's really fascinating stuff. And we have one up on every Tuesday at FMH, so that's awesome. Excellent. Well, if we um, take any more time, this is going to have to move over to a different podcast because we've, we've got, we're going to epic proportions in our, in our time. But it's been fascinating discussion. Thank you both for uh, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Let's see. This podcast was produced by Zilpha Larson. Um, John Larson, myself, directs this podcast, and um, it will be edited by Rich Rasmussen. Mormon Expression is a product of the Whitefields Educational Foundation. You can find us on the web at whitefieldseducational.org. Um, as always, this is made possible by your generous contribution, so consider a subscription or a donation today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, John. Thanks. Bye. Bye.